You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 55. Oh, baby! Woo! We made it to 50. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net. We can find show notes, examples, discussion, and other stuff. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And it's time for me trying to say some names. I feel like people are messing with me now with some of these names. I actually this time isn't so bad though. I don't I don't feel like that. so you know, we always start with uh saying thanks to um people that left the reviews in iTunes and Stitcher. And some names are way more challenging to pronounce than others, at least for me, because names are like kryptonite to me. Um, but this time, I don't feel like it was too terribly bad. I'll let, I'll let, oh, I was going to take Stitcher. No. Uh, no yeah. I got, I got Stitcher. You go ahead and do iTunes. <laughs> no, but I practice Stitcher. No, no, you do iTunes. I got, I got nothing on iTunes. It's all you. Do it. What? <laughs> I'm about to do both of them. <laughs> all right, here we go. You ready? Uh, Trey Waters, clever cookies. You cheated. We were, we were, Shizo, Dadoosh, Abraham Linksis. That one I loved. Also like this one a lot. To Nickfinity and beyond. And then uh, Trigger PLZ, Esam, Candidly, I guess. Canadily. You think? Okay. And uh, S Myco three. Or S Mick. Or right. S Mike. So iTunes, here we go. Hello Basti, <laughs> Tux DK, David B C Anime Girl forty four, Bacarlino, Embedded Emily, Don Neal fourteen, PS one eighty, and Dan Clark photo. So <laughs> I tripped you up there. <laughs> you, you might have cheated a little bit. Um advantage of going first. So Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to do that. Some really amazing reviews in there. Made our days. As always, we sincerely love these reviews. So please do, if you haven't already, do it. Um, you know, make, make somebody smile. All right. Uh, also, um, we have a, a lot of other uh, stuff, um, a lot of other news. I don't know what you're about community news i don't know maybe we need a little uh subsection here but um I'll, I'll try not to take too much time with it but do have a few things i wanted to call out like hussein and mike check your email um it's two of the four winners from episode 47 and we haven't heard back from you guys about your addresses so uh hit us up because we want to send you free books and uh also want to give a shout out to angry zoot uh we haven't mentioned her in a while and she's awesome does martial arts so beware don't mess with her um <laughs> Also, some of the big news, uh, Cynical Developer has launched. Um, James Siddharth, we've mentioned him a few times. Um, he's uh, got a new podcast out. Just started talking about things like Cake and XAML and React uh, with Zach Brady. Um, all really good, so that's exciting. Yeah, definitely go check it out, although we need to tell James to stay close to his microphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could you not hear him? I, I couldn't. He faded a few times on me with the Zach Brady interview. <laughs> mm. Wow. Awesome. Uh, very cool. Uh, also, um, this is uh, really interesting. We actually um, got an opportunity to give away a free pass to the O'Reilly Software Architecture Cont- uh, Contest <laughs> um, Software Architecture Convention that just uh, started actually, I guess, today. Um, 
Well, it depends on when you're listening to it, right? But uh, anyway, it's a conference. It was in San Francisco. We had a $1,700 ticket to give away. We had to give it away quickly. And um, so we ran a quick contest on Twitter and uh, awarded the prize to Mark McDowell, um, who sent us a picture from the conference. And so uh, glad to see he's having a good time. And um, I wanted to mention that means that you guys should follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and mailing list or anywhere else uh, you can find us because uh, sometimes we have stuff to give away that's really awesome and uh, we aren't able to get it on the show for some reason so uh, you should follow us and get free stuff totally yep uh also um i last uh, episode i mentioned code made as my uh, tip but i forgot who introduced me and i apologize uh it was morizo pazbon and so just wanted to say thanks for that and uh, also wanted to mention, this is not really related to uh, people, but um, we do have an O'Reilly discount code right now. Um, it's more related to the conference, but it's 50% off most print and 40% off eBooks. And I don't know how long this is going to last, uh, but it's a pretty good deal. So you can get a book like Soft Skills and JavaScript, the good parts. And, uh, we, and there's no affiliate fee because I can't figure out how to set it up. Um, <laughs> it's just discount for you. So go get it while you yeah. can. And and you do that by coming to our site and clicking the banner on the right-hand side of the page. Or if you're on mobile, you probably have to scroll down to the bottom. Yep. All right. Excellent, excellent news. What you All got? right. Yeah, so, sorry. I, uh, you know, last time was conference season for me. Uh, it felt like we we talked a lot about conferences. And, hell, guess what happened? Uh, between last episode and now, I went to another one. So this time was the DevFest 2016 for the uh, Google Developer Group. And, uh, you know, we'll include a link to that. There was some uh, pretty cool stuff. Sorry that you couldn't be there. Um, but there was, uh, you know, some pretty cool topics that they talked about. My main interest there was the machine learning um, tra- uh, track, we'll call it. Um, but, yeah, they, they had some really cool stuff that that, that they were talking about. Uh, in general, uh, Firebase was another one of the uh, conversations. Have you have you played with Firebase yet? Have you checked out Firebase? Nope. Um, it was like a cross-platform capabilities for like Android, iOS, uh, some C++, some JavaScript. Heavy on Android um, for obvious maybe reasons. But um, some features, that things that we've done in like, you know, maybe an AWS environment, but now it was like, you know, here's this nice SDK for free features. Well, there were tiered pricing, um, but there was a free tier. But like, uh, you know, some analytics, some uh, key value pair storage, uh, file storage was another one of the features. Um, uh, testing features that were built into it. So I, I'm by no means doing... Uh, Firebase that's full justice, but yeah, it had some pretty cool features. Uh, they were built into it, and then TensorFlow was another one of the big conversations. Uh, again, like I said, I, w- I went more for the machine learning uh, track, and so uh, TensorFlow came up, which was another uh, Google technology that was talked about there. Oh, I didn't realize awesome. TensorFlow is Google. I, I've seen a few demonstrations of it doing some really cool stuff um, with like just visually and just some cool things with neural networks and TensorFlow that I don't understand. <laughs> Most people probably don't understand it yet. But yeah, yeah. Well, now you're making me question. No, uh, that yeah, TensorFlow was originally developed by researchers and engineers working on the Google Brain team. Yeah, awesome. They have a, a brain team. Uh, I mean, 
It's Google. So are <laughs> yeah. you surprised that they would they have, have a brain, brain team? team? Yeah. Like you'd be more shocked if you found out that they didn't have a brain team, right? Right. That's true. <laughs> like, what do you mean they only have an eyeball team? That was a Google or Alphabet. <laughs> oh, uh, Google. <laughs> Google. All right. Well, we got some oh, scary and then, stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, okay. So there was that whole conversation that we had, uh, I don't know. What was that now? Like a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago about the, uh, Android iOS thing. Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, I was wrong. I got, I got, I told I was wrong a lot. So that's fine. I get that because, you know, it like, it's one of those Android versus iOS is a heated conversation. Right. But if you recall, like, like, let's take all the heat away from it, though. There was the one part of the conversation that we talked about where uh, with the bug bounties, right? And that and I'd mentioned that, you know, at least on iOS, uh, you know, maybe I have this false sense of security, you know, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But this was like a story that came up just yesterday, I want to believe, I want to say. Um, and it, it just kind of resonated exactly or maybe it was this morning um but it kind of resonated exactly what i was talking about so there's a story that the new york times reported about uh android phones some android phones where the phones were sending um the security experts discovered that the phones were sending oh shoot i had it right here and then scrolled but it, it was sending uh like the complete text conversation and call logs here it is uh CryptoWire, the security firm that discovered the vulnerability, said the dupe software transmitted the full contents of text messages, contact lists, call logs, location information, and other data to a Chinese server. This was software that was just built into the phone, uh, an Android phone. And it was kind of going along the lines of like where we were talking about uh, you know, during that previous conversation where on the iOS it felt like, well, that couldn't happen you know, because Apple's controlling both sides you know, the hardware and the software. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting and scary story that, you know, that was, that existed and that that was a thing. Uh, but it was on lower end phones. So in fairness, this wasn't on your like high end, uh, you know, Samsung or, uh, Nexus line, or I guess now Google line phones, the pixel. Yeah. This one says it was the blue products and there were like 120,000 of its phones that were affected. And you know what stinks about it though is nowadays. Well, their software runs on seven million, seven hundred million phones all over the world. Yeah, so the the, the blue product was one. I'm sorry to cut you off, but the blue was one American manufacturer. Yeah. So what I was going to say though, one of the scary things is most people don't pay attention when they install apps nowadays for right. all the privileges it asks for. So I mean, just about anything could do it. This one happened to be baked into the phone, which really stinks but yeah right yeah i mean it's and and that's kind of why i'm saying like maybe it's a false sense of security that i have with ios like i i i'll concede to that right yeah, well the thing I is mean, most people don't care even after they know they're being spied on so true, you know totally. who cares who cares if they are or not it's it really kind of stinks it kind of makes people want to go back to a flip phone and i and i get that honestly seriously bring back the motorola razor seriously Do you remember that yeah oh, i totally. love that phone. i mean yeah, it, that phone it, was awesome back in the day. So I mean, that was like the original phone that everybody craved, and you mm-hmm. know, like before iPhone, everybody wanted the Razor. Yep, it was it was slim, it was pretty. Yeah, it's a, that's one of the things that kind of stinks. Like I find myself in that situation. I mean, I, I digress. I don't want to go in too much on the phone thing, but 
yeah, it, it's it's a scary world with this stuff. Um, in other news, I ended up going to the MVP Summit, which was amazing. It was out there in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, gorgeous out there, gray the entire time, sort of wet. But uh, got <laughs> I mean, seriously. Oh, and because of the time change, it was dark every day at like four thirty in the afternoon. It was it was a little brutal. But hey, not to cut you off, but it looks like here in the show notes you had an expletive here because you had to like mark out some of your your show notes here. Yeah. Uh, you did something, and it starts with an F. I don't know. <laughs> Right. So I actually did a little bit of functional programming and some F sharp. And it was kind of cool because the way that they were like, hey, you want to learn this thing, go go download this dojo from GitHub. And I'll have to find that link and put it in the show notes. Now, wait a minute. Now everybody's going to think dojo. They're going to think of the JavaScript framework. No, not the JavaScript framework. It was actually do like a little uh, like a lesson type thing. It's and like this a kata? To, uh, no, it wasn't a kata. It a was dojo. more like literally just try this. They call it a dojo up on their on their GitHub project page. So, But basically it was draw a tree with, with F sharp. And it was pretty neat. Like most people would have this nice, pretty looking tree. And I was like, man, that's not cool. I need something organic. So I kind of did a random tree generator. And that was, that was kind of neat. Are we talking about like a fractal trees? What yes, kind of trees a are we? Fractal tree. Oh, fractal. Okay. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. It was literally drawing lines and, you know, doing angles and all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I like his description of it. I, I drew lines and angles and stuff. Yeah. yeah that's what it did. So, um, <laughs> There was another one that was cool that was excellent that they had basically like a bot program. So you could literally create like a messenger and then have a bot do responses to it. So like you could say something along the lines of, hey, what's the fastest car in the world? And it would know based off some of the wording that you did in there. You'd train your bot and it would go do a Bing search for you. So is that why your responses in Slack have been so weird? Because you yes. replaced it with a yes. an Allen Slack bot? It's amazing, isn't it? That <laughs> makes so much more sense now. All it does is say awesome and cool. <laughs> I thought something was really robotic about it. Yeah, I've noticed so, you've been a lot better at draw something lately. Right, right. <laughs> Draw something. Who plays that anymore? <laughs> wow. Welcome to ni- welcome to 2010. Oh, I man. still play. But but that was totally. I what mean, was that? OMG pop. <laughs> OMG pop. Wow, that's good stuff. Uh, so yeah, I mean the conference was amazing. I can't talk about most of it because I'm under NDA. But um, <laughs> Hololens. Can you talk about the Hololens? Oh, oh, I can talk about Hololens. So I did. Actually, I, he wasn't supposed to talk about F sharp, and now he's in trouble. <laughs> I I did attend a session that was basically being able to develop VR and AR apps, augmented reality or virtual reality apps, using either Unity 3D, um, the Unreal Engine, or there's another thing called Ur Sharp, and we'll leave a note in, or we'll leave a link in the show notes. And it was pretty cool. I mean, they kind of... Wait, like, er? It's like, like is it U-H-R sharp. It's really... It, it's weird. I, I guess that one was created in the South. Uh, probably. Er. What kind of language you got there? I got, uh, I got er me some sharp, er sharp. Some er sharp. That's er sharp right there. So Not er flat. I was playing with er flat earlier. So it was... So here was the thing, right? Like, the, the presentation was cool and all. But at the end, they were like, hey, does anybody want to come up and try out a HoloLens? I looked around and everybody was sitting down like, dude, I bolted to the front of the room. I was like, I got to check this thing out. Man, it is way more amazing than what I ever thought it would be. What Alan realized later is it was a rhetorical question. They really didn't want anyone to jump up. That's fine. So you this know is what's, awkward. You know what was funny is like, it was kind of like you, everybody's like, hey, everybody go get a plate and eat. And everybody stands around and waits for that first guy. Dude, after <laughs> I got up there, 
there were like 30 people behind me. You were like, I don't mind being the first guy. Get out of the way. Yeah, that's right. Here I come. Man, it is like, seriously, like I could take an object and I had no idea how to navigate this thing. Like the dude's looking at me like I'm an idiot. And he's like, you got to pinch it. I'm like, what do you mean pinch it? Right. (laughs) So I'm like waving my hand around in the air. And he's like, no, you got to pinch your fingers. I was like, oh, okay. I got it. So I could literally, I took this puppy and I placed it on Wait, top of somebody. Wait, you didn't some, pinch a puppy. I pinched a puppy. Wait, <laughs> that's I, not nice. And I put them right on top of somebody's head. And it was amazing. The thing would like detect surfaces. Like it, it I can't even describe how cool it was. Cause literally then I was like, okay, well that's cool. I stuck them on top of somebody's head. Let me put them on the desk. And sure enough, it would detect it and kind of snap to the desk. And then you turn around and look at something else and look back. And sure enough, there it was. And it, man, I'm telling you right now, like I've played with some virtual reality things. Like our buddy has the uh, oh, uh, Oculus, man, I can't. Oculus, yeah, Oculus, and that's neat. Don't get me wrong, that's really cool. It's neat, but there was a whole nother level of involvement with that augmented reality where it really felt like you had something in the room that you could play with. Okay, now let me ask you this. In all fairness, though, to the Oculus Rift, because mm-hmm. when we did play around with that Oculus Rift, it was kind of underpowered at the time. I mean, we all admitted to that, right? It was off a laptop. But so here's what I'll tell you. So it, do you think that they just had like a lot more hardware to drive that experience for no, the HoloLens? No, I don't think so. So I think what the difference is is just the perception. Like with the augmented reality, as it's called, you're interacting inside your own real world, right? Like you're taking virtual objects and messing with them in your world. Whereas mm. virtual reality is, you know, you're oh, surrounded right. by another world. And it would, that, that level of interaction, like they showed some demos. And, and I think these are on YouTube where literally, like imagine you're somebody that's a home designer, right? You walk into somebody's room and you say, oh, you want to change out your floors in your room? Mm-hmm. You look down there, it detects the surface, and then you pick Right, you know what what you want the surface man. Right, so to be fair, then Hololens Hololens is an augmented reality experience, yep. and the Oculus Rift was a virtual reality experience. Yep, it, both for those not cool. familiar with either. Yep, both super both. cool. The only thing that was a little bit, and people have said this, like the 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 view area on the Hololens is a little bit limited. Like you've got to be looking in in like the lens area, otherwise you lose focus of, of well, what you said. Aren't you looking? Aren't you wearing like a big giant? You are, but it's it, the screen's not as all encompassing as you might think. So that's really the only thing that might have mm. been a little bit of a drawback. But man, seriously, some super cool technology. So uh, are you so, are you able to scratch your unibrow with the helmet on, or do you have to take it off? Are you saying I need to shave? Uh, I, I'm saying it's a concern <laughs> for me. I mean, <laughs> I have a let's pretend. Dryer. Let's pretend we that we were that saying that. <laughs> let's pretend that we were saying that um, that you did. Just for the sake of argument, let's not make this weird. <laughs> Could you theoretically, if you had to scratch your unibrow? I don't remember. I was so, <laughs> I, you were so I was immersed so, in the experience. I seriously was. I you was, forgot all about your unibrow. I was so enjoying that. I didn't even realize I didn't have clothes on. Right? So like you're admitting to the room. unibrow. That's what we're getting. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, seriously, like if you ever get the chance, like apparently if you go to a Microsoft store where they have them, you can schedule a somebody on our Slack channel. I, I wish I could remember who it was said that. You can actually go schedule an appointment huh. to check it out, and they'll have like a 15-minute thing that you can go mess with. So I highly recommend it. If you're into tech at all, it's, it's a lot of fun. Man, for a minute there, I just had like a flashback of like the day the, ar- the days of the arcade, right? Oh. Where 
you know, you would quote schedule your time by like dropping your quarters on like <laughs> that's right. I'm next on this Mortal Kombat game, yo. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna come that's in so here awesome. with some Scorpion or some Sub Zero. I I got this. Don't worry, dude. That that's amazing. Um. Oh, uh, another thing that just happened. This this happened today. Actually, was Microsoft Connect. I don't know if you guys are watching it, but they were showing a lot of the new stuff that they were doing. And one of them is Visual Studio on the Mac. Not Visual Studio Code, right. but Visual Studio on the Mac. That's actually really exciting for me. So uh, I plan on downloading that and playing with it here pretty soon because that's, uh, man, what a world we live in. And on that, they also mentioned, and this kind of blew my mind, Microsoft is the top contributor on GitHub. Yeah, but I thought Whoa. that's been known, right? Huh? That's not like they didn't just cross that threshold, right? No, no, it's probably happened, but I'd never even heard that. It, uh. it was just kind of crazy. I know Docker was up there at the top. Um, I, I don't remember what else it was, but Microsoft is the biggest contributor to open source on GitHub. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. It, it's a different world we live in now. Now the Visual Studio on the Mac. Okay, so for one, because we, we already got some feedback about, uh, I guess one of us said something about getting a tattoo if there was ever a visual studio for the mac oh crap that sounds like something i would say (laughs) yeah it does um (laughs) so yeah i guess one of us has to get a tattoo (laughs) but but because i'm afraid it was me (laughs) maybe i don't know i gotta go back and listen to it I think it was like episode 12. Somebody mentioned in maybe the Slack channel or something. How are you going to remember that? Some, no. So it was either tweeted to us or somebody mentioned it in the Slack channel. I don't remember how it came up. I'm pretty sure it was in Slack that somebody was like, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, you guys were just talking about uh, you'd, if it was ever available for the uh, if Visual Studio ever came out for Mac that you'd get it tattooed. Oh, you'd crap. get a Microsoft logo tattooed. Well, I um, hope it was you. <laughs> uh... So... <laughs> You, so you yeah, have to so do awkward. it, man. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure the Zune tattoo guy didn't re- regret it later, right? Right. <laughs> oh crap! You had to put it like that, too, didn't you? Wow, oh, man. Yeah, I heard a, a podcast. Uh, was it? Um, uh, oh, I forget. I'll remember the name in a minute. But um, the people that got the Pepe the Frog like tattoos and stuff um, back when it was kind of a funny meme, and then it got involved in all sorts of uh, um, like hate memes and reply uh, all, all. Sorts of terrible that things. Now I was going to have this tattoo that. Of this figure that has recently become a, a figure of hate speech, and now they're like, oh, wait, oh, somebody crap. on a Reply All has a tattoo. Reply has All, tattoo? Reply All was the podcast. Yeah, yeah, they, they was... talked with the guy uh, who drew Pepe the Frog and how his friends uh, and family uh, member uh, gotten this tattoo. And the next thing you know, he's like, you, you see this character like wearing, you know, all all sorts of uh, uh, racist and fascist stuff and and whatnot. And so it became a symbol of something very different from how it started out. And all these people have this tattoo, and they're you know, kind of covering up around election season. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I guess where I was going with this, though, um, is that because so the Visual Studio, it's just a well, it's just a but isn't it more like a rebranding of the Xamarin tools that were already there? So it's not it's not that Microsoft wrote from the ground up. Oh, here or, or even a port of Visual Studio to the Mac. Right. right? No, this is. Oh, well, we made this acquisition of Xamarin, and they have this tool. Xamarin and, Studio. And so we've decided to rename Xamarin Studio to Visual Studio. I don't think it's just renaming it because they actually showed on that connecting, I believe, somebody just compiling a regular application. 
so it wasn't it, it wasn't, wasn't for like iOS or Android, I don't think, is what I'm getting at. So Xamarin Studio was always, okay, you could take your core C-sharp stuff and write like your business logic and that kind of thing. But then you could write like your UIs for iOS and for Android. It was basically mobile-based type stuff. And I think this is they're trying to take it a step further to where you can literally write like um, desktop type applications. I don't know. I didn't get to see all of it, but I think they're trying to take it a step mm. further. But it, it is definitely Xamarin Studio that they're now renaming Visual Studio Code. Is it free now? Uh, yeah, Xamarin Studio is free since they acquired them. Oh, okay. Well, so awesome. So if you have a Mac, uh, you should go get it. Yeah, I, I would definitely check it out. I mean, if nothing else, it, it'd be cool just to see what's out there. Um, but, man, well, times is a changing. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to do some research on this because uh, it sounds like one of us is going to have to get a tattoo, so we might as well know why. <laughs> it definitely ain't me. And, um, well, I mean, it could be you. I don't know. I promise this you. This could I be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hey, look what I just found. It was actually Alan that right. said it. Well, right. that's awkward. Uh, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely want to follow up on that. All right, and then uh, next up, we've been giving away stickers, people. If you want a sticker, send us a self-addressed stamp envelope, uh, and if you don't know where to send it to, contact us on Twitter, Slack, I mean, you us. probably don't know where to send it to. That's you, fair. You I don't, don't know yeah. where to send it. I totally get it. I mean, let's... Yeah, I don't know either. Okay. So, yeah, just contact us. We'll send you the thing. It'll be the easiest way to go. And we will send you out a sticker or two or three if you want to give some to your friends. So uh, just holler at us. All right. So uh, let's see. Episode 48. So we gave out – we in episode 47, we said we were going to give out some copies of uh, Clean Code. And then again in episode 48, we decided to do the same thing. And so we did our drawing. And, well, you know what? Last time I said drum roll, you guys made it really awkward. And it became like speakers were getting blown out. And, <laughs> you know, people's ears were bleeding. And now Alan's making machine gun sounds. <laughs> That's close to a drum. <laughs> so... So, yeah, so I won't say drum roll, but I, I will let Alan announce the winner. How's that? Uh, or, Joe, you want to do this? Yes. Um, I'm looking up the last name right now because I don't remember if he put it in the comment, but uh, the, the winner was, is Odvar. First and last. All right. Odvar, uh, I'm sorry about your last name, uh, Tengazdal. I'm sure I butchered that, and uh, you should email us your address or uh, your email address if you prefer to have um, the ebook, and we'll get that to you. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. And so, all right, so we're going to be talking about Clean Code again, and again, giving away a copy. Or are we doing PostSharp too? Do we decide? I don't know. I didn't think so. Okay, so we're just going to do the. Uh, Copy a clean code this episode. But yep. you should follow us on Twitter or Facebook or whatever your preferred social media platform is because we do have lots of other stuff to give out that we don't necessarily mention on the show. And you should follow us there for chances to win um, really expensive, nice prizes. Yeah. Like a copy of PostSharp. Yes, totally. Like almost $700 worth of a nice prize. So I, before we get into this particular sure, episode, sure. I want to ask you guys. Like, So this is my first time reading through clean code. 
because I, I've always written clean code. That, now, so. wait a minute. I take offense to that because you have definitely read, read my code more than once. Uh, <laughs> so, done. so here's the thing that I'm curious if other people have thought that. Like, I'll look at the title of a chapter, like this one, formatting, and I'm like, really? This this seems kind of like a boring, not really all that meaty topic. And then I look at it and I'm like, you know what? There was good stuff in here. Oh, there's better than good stuff. I feel like I feel like I have accidentally stumbled upon another Var Wars. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we're gonna go toe to toe on this one again, but uh, I know yeah. what you're saying, Alan. And actually, um, for me, it's it goes both ways. So, like, I see chapters like this, and I'm like. Uh, I don't want to read this and I love it. But then um, there's times I'll buy a book on like say machine learning and I'm asleep by page two, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've actually found every chapter that we've hit so far. I'm like, man, there's, there's really useful, good takeaways from this. And I was surprised. I really was being completely honest. I didn't think that would happen like that. So, so is it fair to say that you're starting to see why this book is as popular as it is? Totally not. It's like, totally not. Oh, you see why it's okay. Well, you don't. Okay. (laughs) Tough crowd. (laughs) No, it it truly is. It's so, uh, uncle Bob, I guess you're going to try harder next time with your next book. That's right. Um, Alan is apparently not impressed. No, I mean totally. Like I'm, I'm happy that we decided to do this one. I'm, I'm looking forward to in the future picking up uh, Code Complete also because, I, I mean, from all the good things I've heard about that one, I have to imagine it's sort of the same type, you know, things going on here. Wasn't so. the next one to this one like Clean Coder? Something like yeah, that? and I didn't oh. know that one existed until well, fairly recently. So I'm looking forward to reading that one. I actually, just got a, a new book on. Um, you know, best practices. Uh, I'll have to look up what it is and, and share it. But I was going to read that one, but I'm really excited about that one because it's really short. Actually, I'm going to look up the name right now. <laughs> it's called Really Clean Code. Right. <laughs> Super clean. No code. <laughs> it's an O'Reilly book. I got it. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of opened the package. I'm like, yes, my book's here. It's got, you know, a picture of a monkey or something on it. And I lift it up. I'm like, wait, it's like a magazine. What the? And then I, I so at first I was like upset, you know, because I like, I'm used to coding, you know, coding books. You basically buy them and they, you know, uh, just huge, like 600 pages each. Right. But then I was really happy. I was like, oh my you gosh. Like lift, you could use them to lift up your car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I got this one. I opened it up. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to read this. <laughs> uh, Anytime you're changing a tire and you run out of a jack stand, you yeah. just grab you your coding books and yeah. lift them up. It's like Python, the definitive guide, 9,000 pages. <laughs> I mean... In fairness, it did say definitive. Yeah. So I feel like you know you you knew what you were getting into. Uh, yeah, I guess cool. when you go like back in the day, you go to the bookstore, right, and you like look and you're like, okay, I need to learn, uh, you know, PHP or something. And so you look at all the books and you see like PHP for dummies and the O'Reilly books, whatever. And, like, you know, they're all roughly around the same price, but yeah. one of them is nine thousand pages. <laughs> like, what, what are you gonna get? Yeah. Because you know you're going to be stuck on some stupid problems that are going to be keeping you up all night. So we should get the bigger book and you can, you know, probably find your problem easier. Actually, you'll never find it in that big book. That's no, the problem, never. right? right. <laughs> the index in this thing sucks. When's the last time you used an index instead of Google? Right? Never. Man, exactly. <laughs> it's been a long I time. I mean, I guess if on a paper book, though, yeah, sure. Maybe. Right? I, I don't know. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into it while Joe's looking for the name of the book. So this one, we're talking about formatting. Like this, again, seemed really unexciting, but then I got into it and I, and I really enjoyed it. So um, one one of the things they said at the very beginning that I thought was so true 
is if your code's a mess, then people assume that your attention to detail in the app is also a mess. Like that's so true. If you look at a if you look at a pile of code and you're like, oh, a man. pile of code, right. you've kind of already like drawn judgment there. It is right. Like if you look at something and you can't make heads or tails of it, just looking at it, like it's not pretty. You're going to assume that they missed other things, right? Like if they didn't care about how their code looked, then they didn't care about how it operated either. I've seen lots of piles of code. Right. Totally. <laughs> so eh. I, I thought that was a good way to start it off. Like it, it truly just your perception. It's, you know, the whole don't judge a book by its cover type thing. Right. I mean, you can't help it. You see a book with a really garbage cover and you're like, man, I bet that's terrible. But you can judge a book by its many pages. Yeah. And yeah. and the book I was talking about is Programming Beyond Practices. It's got a really cute picture of a monkey and it's 132 pages. That's really short. And, and like 70 pages are the index. <laughs> and then 30 for the uh, table of contents. So so one of the things that they jumped in is they said teams should adopt formatting rules and follow them. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, that sounds nice in theory. Totally. I, I, mean, I mean, it really does. I'm sure you guys work somewhere where there have been like line-ending wars where, you know, <laughs> someone's using a different editor and they don't want to change, you know, because... You know, that's how Linux does it, or that's how Windows does it, or that's what it was before. I didn't even change it, you know, and this stuff goes back and forth. So I think that having standards is really good because sometimes you'll get that one person who just decides to do it their own way. And honestly, I think that's where pull requests come in. I, I mean, seriously, if somebody's going to stray that far outside the lines of what the team has adopted, you you have the absolute right to destroy their pull request and just deny it, in my opinion. And, but but this made me question though. Maybe this is more of a thing outside of uh, a C sharp or a Visual Studio world, right? Where there's not standards that everybody uses, kind of. Well, no, I wasn't going there. What I was going with is that um, because up until you know the last let's say twenty four months, right? If you were going to write in C sharp, you were more often than not, you were going to be locked into Visual Studio. Yeah. So there were the defaults that Visual Studio would apply, and that's what it was, right? So, you know, uh, in regards to things like tabs versus spaces, you know, one of the other holy wars, right? Um, Whereas take a Java environment, for example, and, you know, you might have one guy who prefers IntelliJ. You might have someone else that prefers Eclipse, and so in those worlds, they actually have... And Visual Studio has this too, but it came out way after uh, you know the Java world had this. But uh, they, in their tool chain, have uh, plugins and configurations where you can add in a configuration that the IDE will understand, and it'll enforce those. So like when you hit new line uh, and, and you tab over, does it you know, insert tabs or it is insert spaces. How many spaces does it insert for each tab that you press? You know, uh, things like that, that, um, you know, so maybe I guess where I'm going with this though, is this, uh, teams should adopt formatting rules and follow them. I've never had, I've never been in a situation in any, at any employer where we've sat down and we're like, okay, guys, this is how we're going to format our C sharp, right? That's just, that's never happened. I've never had that. But maybe in JavaScript, like a right. Java world, 
that well, JavaScript exist. in particular, the the editor that I use, it changes depending on which computer I'm at, what like which employer, which project I'm working on. You know, I I use multiple different editors. I think JavaScript's a good example, but uh, yeah, I don't think we've had that either, though. Uh, there's Thinking definitely back. been times like because some people do their JavaScript in Visual Studio. Uh, some will do it in WebStorm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get that there's a lot of a lot of JavaScript editors that we could iterate through, but I'm saying, like, I, I still don't recall having a conversation about, like, hey, guys, we're going to standardize on how we're going to format our JavaScript, and here's the configuration for your given uh, tool. Wait, JavaScript, I mean, I, you mean <clears throat> in a separate file at the top of the page or at the bottom of the page? Is that what we're talking about? Uh-oh. <laughs> that's, well, a, that's a okay, old school so, way of thinking about JavaScript, man. It's come along right yeah. in the body and the head. Oh, the good yeah. old days. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I usually follow the idiomatic type guides for most of them. So C sharp, you know, the brackets are always on the following line from the method definition in JavaScript. It's usually on the same line. Like I usually just follow whatever the practices are. And half the time it does do it right in the IDE. So I don't, well, that's what my point was, yeah. though, is that that's a that's a that's Visual Studio doing that for right. you because it's just a default, right? Right, and it, and it even has like by language defaults too. Yep. So, um, yeah, it, it might. So it's making some of those tooling. decisions for you. Yeah. So I guess my point though is that like in his comment about uh, you know this team's adopting a formatting standard kind of made me think like okay well the teams then sat down and even even I think later at the end of this chapter he mentioned like you know um, for the given project that he was working on at the time you know they spent a whopping 10 minutes and then a decade later that's still the formatting that they're they're following yep and again if it's something that you know you could take the time and there's some kind of like tool you know, some part of your tooling where you could like okay you know everybody gets this config file then you could see that happening because you brought up WebStorm, for example, and and I know that WebStorm has it. So what you could do is you could just uh, uh, commit that file as part of the repository. That configuration file is part of the repository. WebStorm would pick it up, and you everybody know, gets it. Now everybody can have that uh, you know that that formatting best practice. But it's just this is I don't think this is, has historically been a thing in a Visual Studio world. Yeah, probably not. It, what's interesting is. Uh, Will, one of the guys that we talk about on occasion, he and I got into... Oh, wait. This is the guy I heard something about. There was a race. Yeah, he lost it. You. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> Dang it. He wants to race me again ever since that, by the way. That's fine. Um, he was like, man, let me work out for like six months first, and then, and then, I'll, then I'll race you. So bring it on, dude, whenever you're ready. I'm going to eat some brownies between now and then. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh but we actually got into a debate over this for like an hour one afternoon because he likes to put spaces between his parentheses and his arguments passed into a method. And I was like, no, dude. Wait, uh, say that again? So if you are calling a method or a function, and when you open the parentheses, he wanted a space before the first argument, and he wanted a space after the last one. I was like, I can't, oh, no. I can't get behind that, dude. Like, mm. I, I straight up can't do that. And he's like, what is that about? But it's so much easier to read. And I'm like, no, dude, I, that messes my eyes up. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't. So work. let's say that let's give this let's give an example here. So we have a, a a customer object that has a method called get first name or no. Uh, no, because that would be getting something, and you're saying you had to pass something in. Well, like right? Fibonacci sequence, and it takes a number. Orders. Yeah, something. Okay. You pass something in. And he would have open paren, space, argument, 
space, close paren. And I hope I'm not butchering this. I'm pretty sure this is what the argument was. And I was like, I can't get behind it. He's like, no, but there should be space. And I was like, you know what? If that's what you want, then there should be an automated tool that when you check this code in, automatically does it. Because I'm not writing code that looks like that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I actually hate that, by the way. I do, too. Like, I don't like I, it. When I see that, I, I instantly remove it. Um, and if I don't, formatting tools will do it for me. And that's what I told him. And it was funny. So, and this isn't a bash on him because I mean, we all have our, our things that we like. Well, not to bash on him. I'm not saying it that way, but there was actually a similar point made here, um, about, about formatting. Like if you start doing weird formatting, things like that, and I don't want to say it weird, but like there's a later section where they're talking about like block formatting, variable names and, uh, you know, the, the declaration and the assignment, if you're doing like a big group of them and you know how you might think that it reads pretty, but it's kind of pointless. And as soon as anyone uses any tool to refactor, then it's immediately going to go away. Yeah. So why bother? And so one of the points that they brought up in the book was automated tools help with the process. So I feel like, if there are certain things that you want to enforce, then put it in something that cleanses it when it goes in, right? Like, yeah, and that's where I was thinking, like with, uh, you know, it, from a from a a Java world. Man, what was that tool? There was a tool. I want to say it started with a P. It wasn't Python though. Uh, it 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 was like a Java tool that would you could um, give it your formatting. Oh, maybe it was actually. Oh, that's actually what it was. It was called like Formatter. It was like pH, uh, man. I'm gonna have to go back and look for it. Resharper will um, do this too. While you're coding, right? Yeah, and you can actually run it on the whole project. Oh, nice. Yep. Some for a while there, um, people were uh, basically checking out C sharp projects on GitHub, running it through the Resharper from Formatter, and then submitting a pull request like here fixed. That's ridiculous. People were getting mad. I, I would deny that. I maybe would totally that's deny maybe that, that maybe it wasn't uh, Formatter with a pH. It was something like that though, but. Um, but it was after the fact, though. It wasn't. That's what I'm saying. It, this this wasn't like like Joe mentioned Resharper, where it would do it in line as you're typing, and this it'd be like, be oh, something I, everybody gets for free, right? When they check in their code, type thing. It was definitely it was it was definitely something that would go and modify your your code after the fact, after you've already, which is kind of a scary thing if you think about it. Oh, but on save, like boop. No, not on well, save. This was when like you on commit, commit to a repo, okay. right? Like in your build process, or or when you're committing to your uh, source control place. But you so know, um, something in that pipeline. Go ahead. Uh, I will say, you know, we mentioned uh, we t- talked about um, not taking ten minutes in order to, uh, you know, save uh, ten years of struggle. But what about when the standards are are obviously bad, like um, the the conventions for writing SQL? You know, imagine if 10 years ago they spent 10 months, 10 minutes and said, you know what? It just should be capitalized and that's how we're going to do it. And then for 10 years, people would be writing these screaming snake, horrible looking queries that are screaming into your eyeballs for no reason. Select top one. I I feel like you don't like SQL. No, (laughs) I, I feel like he's definitely got an opinion there. But I mean, think about it. if you if there are really strong uh, strong opinion conventions, then you're kind of suppressing possible new conventions that might come up. Maybe that you know is a kind of a, a false argument because it doesn't really you know happen that often. But you know, setting standards, setting processes around the way you code does kind of stifle innovation a bit. It does, but it also makes it where people can jump into it easier. So I, yeah. Yeah, but think about like Ruby. Like Ruby looks totally different from any other language, just the way it does like the little underscores and you can use punctuation. Things like parentheses are optional. 
you know, these things are all kind of crazy if you're from like a C background, but it really reads pretty nicely and and it's a big influence on later languages. But in fact, see now I was, when you, when you were talking about like reads crazy, I immediately thought of Pearl, right? (laughs) But then, but then you said that it reads nice, and then I was like, "Oh wait, you're not talking about Perl." But but hold on. In fairness, Ruby was a brand new language, right? So they had control over what they wanted to do there. So let's say that you created Ruby Cool, right? (laughs) Right. You did that. You can make it look however you wanted. So I think that's different. Like once you're in a language, you should follow its standards for how you do it. I mean, just thinking out loud. But but one of the I mean, I agree with that though. Yeah. You know, so so going to the sequel that Joe seems to hate, uh, you know, I mean, like if you're writing T sequel, Microsoft has a published recommendation of like th- this is the, um, you know, our our how we recommend that you should format your sequel. Now, here's what's crazy is we were just saying how Visual Studio has its opinions and. Uh, you know, we'll automate some of that for you, right? It'll, it'll automatically make some decisions for you. But SQL Server Management Studio does not. Right. So you start you start writing some SQL, and it doesn't automatically start reformatting things for you based off of its uh, opinions of what your SQL should look like. Yep. So, one, so of the, one of the key takeaways from this particular opening, though, was code formatting is actually important. Oh, it totally. matters. Totally agree. It, yeah. Yeah, I actually like the point that they made that um, you know you thought that your your first order of business was to make it work, right? But it's really not. You're, you you need to uh, communicate effectively what's going to do based off you know and the formatting can, is a good part of that uh, communication, right? And that uh, you know the readability of your code will have a profound effect on future changes or all changes that will be made, right? Yep. And, and it will set the precedent that will continue to affect its maintainability and extensibility. Yep. Yeah, every line you write, you read it in like 100 times more, yep. more frequently. So then it actually jumps into vertical formatting. And this was, this was kind of interesting. Like they, they took several popular projects, Java projects, and compared them to kind of get statistics on some of these things. So there was some really cool stuff in here. So one of the things was, what's the max length that a file should be, right? And, and they started looking through them. And, and you guys have heard us whine about, you know, I was working in a file that was 10,000 lines long. It's nearly impossible to work in a file like that unless you split that file into three different tabs in, in your editor, and then that way you can just scroll to various different places and keep certain things in scope. Right? Oh, man. Yeah, this just reminded me of something like really disgusting where we found, what was it, like a, a it wasn't a class, it was like a store procedure or something, it was 17,000 lines long. Like, that was disgusting. It's painful. Like, you it's can't, really hard. You can't possibly keep that track in your head no no the c-sharp debugger used to skip over lines greater than i think it was ten thousand. so if you would set a breakpoint it just would not even do it (laughs) i didn't know that that's awesome yeah was that a feature Uh, i learned that's joe's tip of the week that's joe's tip of the week if you want to not have to debug your code you should just put it all into one giant file (laughs) so that you can only debug the first ten thousand lines that's awesome makes you wonder like what else the debugger is skipping it's like oh man i'm not touching this mess Seriously. 
So one of the things that, that he pointed out in the book that was kind of interesting was try to keep the max length around 500 lines long. And smaller is better. Well, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, well, but I kind of wanted to, to put some context around that, though. Yep. Because um, so there were these different uh, Java projects that, that Alan mentioned. And the projects were JUnit. Uh, fitness or finesse, uh, test ng, time and money, jdepend, ant, and tomcat. And so they took the uh, file length distributions of all of these different projects and then try to decipher, okay, like, well, what does this, what does this data tell us, right? And so what they came out of was, okay, it's possible to build very significant systems with uh, files that are around, typically around 200 lines with an upper limit of 500, right? So you, so the point is, is that you could build a really awesome app, a really full featured, you know, app or library or whatever. You don't have to go crazy with your file sizes. Yep. Because they said one of the things that was, that was crazy to me was Tomcat and Ant had files that were several thousand lines long, right? And those are extremely popular Java, you know, uh, libraries or or applications. And and they said at least half of them were over 200. But then that finesse one was like most of them were extremely short. And it was a, also a very big application. And they were saying it's possible to do it. You just have to be aware of it. You have to be cognizant of the fact that you're not going into these crazy file sizes. Now, in in fairness to those open source projects, though, um, this book was printed like what did we decide? Like ten nine years ago, something like that. It's been a little while ago. I want to say it was. Uh, oh well, this says two th- copyright two thousand nine. No, two thousand first printing was two thousand eight. Well, that doesn't sound right either. I thought it was older than that. So I just looked up um, Roslyn um, to see how many but, lines of code it has. Well, it's, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, just to finish the thought, though, I was just going to say, like, you know, in fairness to these open source projects, though, they may have changed that by now, oh, right? Yeah. Although we we do know that a lot of times, like, take, you know, old bugs that are found in code that was never, you know, changed, right? It's quite possible that if it still works, it still works, and they didn't bother to refactor anything, because why bother? It works. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was just looking at, uh, I just picked uh, Rosal kind of randomly and looked at the uh, the number of lines of code. And it's 2,355,000. Um, so I just did the math in my calculator and lost it. But, uh, oh, yeah, it basically ended up being uh, if we kept to under 500, then you would need over 4,700 files, which is, uh, you know, it's a bit on the mind. It is, but it's also easier to navigate file structures, I think, than having to go through that much code in a file, I think. Yeah, I think and so. So... Yeah, I mean, it's two million lines no matter how you slice it, right? Exactly. Um, Better organized, right? It's like the difference between throwing a pile of, of paperwork into a into a drawer in your desk and then having to go find it later. You're, you're never going to, right? As opposed to throwing it into a bunch of different filing uh, drawers or, or folders or something. I mean, you just so. need junk drawer one, junk drawer two, <laughs> junk drawer three. <laughs> And hope you didn't put a knife in the middle of there somewhere when you're reaching for the paper. Yep. MongoDB, uh, 1 million, uh, basically 1,200,000 lines of code. No, 1,200,000 lines of code. 
So yeah, that's quite a, quite a few classes there if you uh, divvied things up 500 lines. Rosalind is more than manga? Yep. That's shocking. Yep. Wow. Cool. Um, so the next thing they said was the newspaper metaphor. Like your file should read... Sort of like go. a newspaper. Yep. Right? Here we go. And this is this is where Joe's feeling victorious already. All right, no is, holds barred. Yep. No. So your headlines are up at the top, and then you get more detailed as you go down. All and, right. And and this, this by the way, before before this war starts, All actually, right. it's not going to be a war because I, I think Joe has the author on his side here. Oh. Oh, he can have the author on his side. He's still lost. Not just oh. the author, Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob on his Good. side. That's fine. Whatever. But, but this is just the first part. This whole reading like a newspaper. Then we get into the other sections that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll that get to we'll that get about. So yeah. Here, here's the thing. Okay, so so we talked about this uh, a little bit in a previous episode where uh, we had talked about basically the newspaper metaphor was to have your methods sorted so that the um, the caller is. Uh, above the callee. So if, if you have method one calls method two, the method two is sorted below that, right? And, uh, you know, you continue, you continue formatting all of your, your methods like that to where the caller is always above the callee, right? But, and, and they were referring to it as this newspaper metaphor, right? And the problem that I have with this is that it sounds great in this utopian universe where you write this thing the first time and you write it in this format and fine, everything's being called one time, right? But we don't read code like we do a news story or a newspaper, right? So when you read a news article or any story, you read it linearly from you know, top to bottom. There's no need to go back to a previous paragraph, assuming you were paying attention the first time, Right. So there's no need to go back. However, with code, our intent is reusability, okay? So skipping around within a file is a thing within code that is not a thing within a newspaper, right? And we don't necessarily read our code linearly the same way that we would a newspaper, assuming that our methods are used more than once, which, oh, by the way, that's part of the reason why they're supposed to be, you know, separate is so that you can... Uh, increase the reusability. So I get that you're going to take issue with that, right? You're going to be like, no, 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 you know, definitely, you know, because I had mentioned, well, if if trying to sort them uh, by caller versus callee is just one arbitrary method, then why not just do it alphabetically? Because if they're both going to be arbitrary, at least from a from a readability point of view, it's a lot easier for me to go to find that other method that I'm looking for depending on the editor that I'm in, because if I know that the methods are in alphabetical order, then I know how to scroll up. I know whether or not I need to scroll up or down to find the next method. And I know Alan was saying, oh, but in my tool, I can just F12 that. And that's very true in a C-sharp world. But what if I'm in JavaScript, for example, and I'm in you know, some other editor, or maybe I'm not even in a an IDE, but just literally raw text, right? Then I don't have those tools, right? At my disposal. So if I just uh, have it to where I can read, you know, reason about that, oh, okay, these are in alphabetical order. Let me just scroll up to find that. Then fine. Now the argument is going to come in, oh, 
But if you refactor that and you change its name, then it's going to be out of order. So then what do you do? And I get it. And I said, even at the time that this originally came up, I don't even have a good answer for that. I'm not even going to try to deny that that's a thing, right? And sadly, you know, but at least, you know, if you really wanted to be particular about it, then, you know, you could, we talked about the the idea of uh, the, the, the two pull request idea. The first pull request is you fix the bug, right? And then the second pull request builds off of the first one. And the second pull request is, you know, any kind of code cleanup stuff so that that way, whoever's reviewing your pull request sees the cleanup separate from the, uh, from the bug fix, right? So maybe that's the answer to keeping these things in order if you really wanted to. But, uh, you know, cause the other thing that, I, that, okay. And one of the huge problems that I have with this newspaper thing, uh, metaphor is that it's so inconsistent. Like it's, what if, okay. <laughs> cause I know I can see Joe's like chomping at the bit. I'm, yeah. I'm dying over here. <laughs> Ready. <laughs> what if, what if in the scenario you have a class that let's say maybe you just have some kind of utility class right? Some kind of a class that's meant for the rest of your library. And maybe it doesn't uh, call anything. It just has a bunch of static methods, right? What order do you put those in? It has methods that are... That, well, that it's an anti-pattern already. Okay, fine. Whatever <laughs> you want to call it. You but are more than welcome it. to call it that. But this is the real-world example where you, we, you know we've each done it. We've each seen it done. And so it's a thing... What's the answer? Oh, we're not talking about real world, man. We're talking about clean code. This is how things should be. I should go into a class. I should see the one public method that's in there. I should see it broken down into little sub methods that do, you know, different hierarchical things like fetching the data, performing some operations and maybe formatting. And I can skip into whichever one I want to, you know, see what's going on because it should be organized well. And okay, so fine. So you want to to go back to this utopian example. Yes. All right. And and not live in a real world example. So now now I'm going to blow your mind. What about unit tests then? Because in a unit test, a unit test is exactly what I just described. It's a class that has a bunch of methods that should not be calling each other. They actually answer that. So they do. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. So actually, um, if we skip down a little bit, they have what's called conceptual affinity. And basically, if you are using the same type of methods, those should be grouped together. So if you don't have oh. the flow in the newspaper format, like what you were talking okay, about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that is where you do your unit test. Now, going back, so I actually okay, do I, want, that's hold a on. good. Hold on, wait. I wanted to say that's a good point about the conceptual affinity because I hadn't applied that to the to unit test, but they still don't say what order they, they should be in no, within that. There's no. They should just be grouped together. They should be proximity. So now they're wise. just. So now, so now you have a class of fifty unit tests. Right. They should right? be close. They're together. just randomly. Yeah, they're all close not together because they're testing if the same thing. No, no, not testing the same thing. They're testing the same class. If so they're, they're testing the same class, so they might be testing different functions in that class or different methods in that class. The ones that let's are say, testing let's say you have methods. let's say you have uh, fifty unit tests for one method in a class. Okay, then they're just going to be. They're, who so cares they're just, what order they're in. Okay, like, so they're randomly sorted, is what you're saying. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that's horrible. Like that's. I, I feel like the alphabetizing is useless in it because you said, what if you don't have an editor? I feel like that's a cop-out thing because honestly, no. honestly, other than looking and get online, when are you not going to open up code in an editor? Seriously. 
Okay, but just because you're in an editor does not mean that you have the capability of zooming around through functions, though. No, but, I mean, how's that any different one way or the other? Like, I, I don't care. You can do Control-F and find the method name. Like, I, I guess my point with that is, like... Well, then that's even... I mean, still, then that's... that's I'm not going to search. I'm not even going to scan up and down a file. I'm always going to do Control-F and try and find generally what I'm looking for. I mean, almost every developer I've ever seen does the same thing. Like, we don't want to scroll around. We think it's about two-thirds of the way up. No, nobody does that. We do a Control-F. We find it, regardless whether you're in Notepad or in Get Online or whatever. So, But going back to the static method thing, so I actually have a feeling on this one, like... The affinity rule there sort of applies to me. If you are doing, if you have a, a, a static class that only has static methods in it, I would feel like, okay, if there's a bunch of things all doing something similar, they should be close together. Like you said, they don't operate off each other, but they all go together. The alphabetizing thing just never has done it for me. Like even the newspaper flow thing, I just do it by nature. That's kind of how I do it. Now, if I'm adding something to a static class, I'm definitely guilty of just adding a method to the bottom because I'm not going to go through and look at the other 50 in there. But well, I'm, you know, I'm not actually going to order anything. All right. Well, let me let Joe have a chance. Oh, yeah. Or, I was just thinking, um, you know, like when you're like, say you're working with somebody, you're doing a little bit of pair programming, you're debugging an issue, you're you're looking at a method, you're like something's not right here. The natural inclination is to scroll up and let me see what happened. Or you want to see what happens next, so you scroll down. To me, it's just a natural evolution, and I think most programmers just kind of end up doing that anyway. And it just hurts my soul to think about a private method being the first thing I see when I open up the function or uh, open up a, a class. And that even counts for constructors. Like I, you know, to me, I want to see the constructors up at the top. And so I don't like the idea that there's methods that are some are uh, in alphabetical order and some aren't. And it just uh, I, I feel like that just kind of falls apart. So it, I, yeah, I do okay. think it's good for like static classes, stuff like that, unit tests. Like if there's no other way to sort them, then yeah, you might as well alphabetically do it. Okay, but going back to the newspaper example, this is another one of the issues that I have with it, is that, and, and the because I felt like this was one of the inconsistencies of the book, right? Was that um, we just talked about the idea of uh, the block formatting, the variables, that the, and, and you mentioned the uh, spaces before your argument list and after your argument list as, as uh, in your parentheses for your method call. And then like doing either one of the things, it's like, well, why bother? Because the, um, the book specifically talked about the block formatting for your, your variable declarations. Like why bother? Because you know, any refactoring tool is automatically going to go away with that. Right. Or tools that you could do refactoring. And guess what? Those same tools, they will blow away your newspaper metaphor as well. So why bother to do the newspaper metaphor? No tool supports the newspaper metaphor even the clean code even the code made that you talked about will sort it will will sort it different but hold up the block formatting wasn't what he said wasn't that formatters would blow it away the reason he said not to do the block formatting on your variable declarations was because it detracts from the meaning of the file yeah yeah yeah. that was that was part of it but the like later on in that in that section it was kind of like you know oh hey by the way uh, automatic here was here's the the sentence to make matters worse automatic reformatting tools usually eliminate this kind of alignment so he was making the point that like you know why bother right it's 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 meaningless it's going to be done away with if you run it through any kind of an automatic formatter so you know you're right you're absolutely right that was the main point that right. he was getting at is like hey you're emphasizing the wrong thing right you you got the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable right right but <laughs> but 
you know, the, 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 you know, also part two of that was that, well, it's going to be done away with in part of a refactoring tool. So, and so that's my point. It's like, this feels inconsistent because if you start using refactoring tools too, or any kind of cleanup tools too, then you lose that newspaper uh, metaphor. But generally speaking, I don't think it's a great practice to just go run reformatting tools on your code anyways, right? Like, because that's, again, going back to what we talked about before, when you're using source control, it really confuses things, right? Like, all of a sudden, your methods all got rearranged. So now you can't even make heads or tails. You're looking at a pull request, and you're like, I don't know what changed here. So that's... I don't really like that. I would rather you physically go in and make the modifications that you want if you're trying to clean up a file. I mean, we've seen some really bad code bases to where maybe you just run the formatter on the entire thing before you ever get started, possibly. I'm not saying I've ever done that. Right. And, I, and I'm also, I don't recall ever, I mean, I am I probably have, knowing how particular I am, I've probably uh, changed the order of something, but I don't recall doing that. So <laughs> specifically, I don't, yeah, I don't have like a, for instance where I, where I've submit, you know, so I'm not like that crazy about this, but I'm just saying that, you know, this newspaper metaphor just seemed like this, you, this unicorn It's this utopian example that I'm like, Oh, come on. That's not real it. world, man. I totally do it. I, I mean, I definitely do it. And I'm not no, even being facetious. You don't. <laughs> absolutely like if you look if you look through my files they absolutely do that yeah i always um, have my i have my constructor at the top and my properties and i've got my public methods right at the top and then everything else kind of here's another problem with the with the newspaper metaphor is that not all languages will even support this some yeah, languages you have to the method has to be defined before it can be called so it's like this isn't even right Depending on your environment, now, granted, those are probably, you know, you're probably like, wait, who's still writing in Pascal? I, yeah, I man, mean, header files, come on. Yeah, yeah, seriously, like, okay, you could take that argument, but, but you can always change anything for that. But I would say, generally speaking, like, if I can, I try and do a flow of, you know, it starts here, then it goes here, then it goes here. I definitely try and do that. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but for the most part, I want to be able to visually follow okay, what's so, happening. So I think, okay, because... I think where you might be thinking of is you're talking about like code where you're the original author, you're starting on it, so it's greenfield. Totally. But that's not the case if it's new stuff. And in fact, you even in the previous episode said, no, nope, I just throw it at the bottom. And I even said it a minute ago. I will. Like if I go into a static file that is static, a, a me- static methods and static class or whatever, I'll just put it at the no, bottom. No, no. Okay, fine. Like web API it doesn't have to be or something. Static right? methods. It doesn't yeah, have to be totally. static. Like a web API thing. I will literally throw the controller at the bottom because I'm not wanting to jack up anybody else's source control looking stuff when they're going into their pull request, and it's not relevant to anything else on the page. So I will put the and I've done it on on stuff that I've changed or added to that you've had. Where literally I stuck it at the bottom, and I, and you were like, "Oh, but I had them in alpha." And I was like, eh. "You know." <laughs> All I'm saying is that. The, the, that it seems like it's, if one is, they, they both seem equally arbitrary to me. And if your whole point for going with the newspaper metaphor is readability, then my argument is that, well, if that's your concern, then from a, a consistency point of view, alphabetical should win because no matter what the caller situation is, alphabetical can still be alphabetical whereas newspaper can't and then there because then there's other weird scenarios where um 
that that and we talked about this in the Slack channel where let's say you have one method that gets called by three others, right? And you know, you could get into this weird chain this weird call chain where that method is at the very bottom of the file and yet the the first caller to it maybe you know uh let's say it's a 500 line file cuz they said that that was about the maxish right so it's 450 lines up right but because of this weird call chain you know there's other methods that are using it because again the whole part of the whole reason for it being in a, a method is to make it reusable right so then it's like that doesn't this this newspaper metaphor starts to fall apart it sounds nice for certain situations, but then you start running it through its paces in real world scenarios. And you're like, uh, yeah, it doesn't apply here. Right. Yeah. You'll always have edge cases, but I, I don't edge? know for the most part, I think that it works out pretty well. Like, I mean, so here's the thing. Are you going to sort all your methods alpha, even if they're private or public, you're going to mix them together. I mean, because if you had a formatting tool, who knows what it's going to do, right? Like so, I no. I, I mean, it I could feel... it could keep the privates and you could keep them together by accessor. And we talked about that. I'm a, I'm I'm cool with that too. I, I'm just saying, I actually I actually do do that in most cases. I keep my public stuff at the top and private stuff towards the bottom. So going back, if you're refactoring something, like if you're going in and you're having to inject something into the flow, typically I will also try and do that in newspaper style. Now, like I said, if it's a web API call or something that's literally just another static method in a file, I just throw it at the bottom because I don't care. Like, I know nothing else relies on it. It doesn't rely on anything else, so it's there, right? But if I'm trying to – if there's a flow that that I know that has to happen, then I do try and keep it somewhere in the mix, right, so that it's easy to follow. I get what you're saying, if they're arbitrary, then the alphabet should win. The alphabetizing one should. But I don't feel like they're that arbitrary. Well, I guess like what I'm saying that um, – sorry, Joe. I was just saying it sounds like they both have their place, and you know, you just got to kind of take it with a grain of salt and make the right decision for your code base. Well, I guess my point, though, is that um, if consistency is king, because we've talked about this before, right, it, it, as it relates to this book, right, is that you know consistency in your formatting, consistency in your naming – you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna call something a controller, then it should be you know it should live up to what we think of when we think of like a view model uh, controller. Um, and then you know, like if you're gonna if you're gonna name things that mean things to developers like a visitor, then it needs to live up to the visitor pattern. Consistency is king, right? And with the newspaper metaphor, I feel like there are not just edge cases, but a lot of scenarios that are not edge. Okay, that the newspaper metaphor starts to fall apart, right? And that's why I'm saying, like, okay, if you have to pick some arbitrary way to sort your file to sort your stuff, fine. I would rather you just be full on random, right? And just say, you know what? It's 2016. Just Command F and find it, right? Or, you know, if your IDE has a, you know, F12 or Command B or whatever, right? Whatever your IDE has to navigate you around, fine, just complete random. But if you're trying to tell me to format, you know, to, to particularly list them in a particular way, then I feel like alpha should be the one because that's the only one that can be consistent every time for every situation, no matter what. Unless you have constructors, properties, or, um, you know, public-private protected methods. 
No, you can. Why can't you alphabetize those? Because I, I will deny a pull request if you got privates at the top. Come on, that's terrible. If you have your properties mixed in with methods, come on. No, no, no. I mean, you could, you can definitely put. We talked about like having your publics above your privates and things like that, or you know. I mean, we've talked about that before. Yeah, but now right? you're so starting to make a, these uh, these cases to deal with, you know, edge cases that aren't edge, such edge cases. You know, these are really common things. We're, we're talking about putting regions now and banners in there. Yeah. No, I didn't talk about anything about regions and banners. It's basically the same thing, except you're just uh, getting rid of the dividers. You're separating code that is logically meant no, to because be the refor- because the formatters can group by accessor level, uh, you know, all your publics together and all your privates together, right? Like that's already a thing that can be done. I don't know, man. I, li- I like the newspaper thing, <laughs> but we we I, mean, I don't think we're going to come. I to get a consensus that people like this. it. I just feel like it's a unicorn, and, and and it'll work great on your first iteration of your greenfield application. But five years from now, when that thing's brownfield and you come back to it, it is not going to be in a newspaper metaphor format any longer. Yeah, maybe not. And that's the real world. Well, same with alphabetical. How many times have you seen a file that's 90% alphabetical and then a year later it's like 56% alphabetical because people just add to the bottom? Again, like I said, then yeah, but fine. Then go full random. But if you're going to tell me to put it in a particular way, you can't tell me that that newspaper is... The one that's going to win every you you know, every use case every. No, scenario. I'm not saying that though. I feel like it falls apart. You got to make the right all decision right. that's right for your case. But yeah, we we could totally do this all night. So we should probably head on. I'm right. Mo- <laughs> all right. Well, wait. What? So Joe's right. All right. So no. <laughs> moving on to the next parts. Like there were some other things in here other than just the ordering of things, and one of them was like separating concept with blank lines. I'm a huge fan of this. Like, if you've got a section of code doing... So, these two really go hand-in-hand. There was the separate concepts with blank lines, and they keep closely associated code grouped together so it was very dense. So that when you're just scanning a page of code, you see a line break, and you see, hey, this is the next logical thing that happens after it, right? I I love that. Yep. Same. Yeah, I'll do that a lot. I'll say, like, var something equals get something, and the next line I, you know, use it. So, something dot do something. And it's so nice uh, to have those with no line separation in between. But if you go on and use the next variable after that, it's unrelated. You should definitely have a space in there. Yep. And, and it's real easy to see. And in the book, they gave several examples and showed the difference between, you know, poorly formatted code with no lines or ones that were all blocked or whatever. And it, it definitely makes it harder for your mind to just quickly adjust to what's going on. Uh, another thing that they had was, and we talked about this in one of the previous chapters, I believe, is variable declarations to be as close to the usage as possible. And if the method isn't too long, then that means it should also be at the top of the method. So, Yeah, that's a little weird with JavaScript and hoisting, and, and JavaScript is so yeah. popular now. Um, but no, well, I, I really like this too. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to mention that too, especially pre uh uh you know the current, what is it, ECMAScript 6, 2016. Yeah, Yep. Or no. ECMAScript yeah, using five. the let method. Yeah, I forget what that. Well, yeah, now with the let, yeah, you can place it everywhere. But before, as Joe mentioned, with the hoisting, the idea was really it's the compiler, the JavaScript compiler was going to put it all at the top, so you should too, because that's really technically what's happening. And you're just lying to yourself if you mix it in elsewhere. Yep. Yep. So that was the, for a long time, that was like standard devices for JavaScript, put the vars at the top. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's the way it was at the time that this book was written. So do you feel like that he's just kind of like spitting in the face of JavaScript and be like, you know, 
No, because put it put it in line with where it's you know as close to its usage as possible, and you know who cares? Let the compiler do its thing and and don't worry about it. Well, not really, because he also says down below that control variables um, for loops should be defined within the loop. So that's kind of a similar thing. Like you could have always done var i equal something in your loop. Now, granted, if you had an i defined up above it, it was going to kill it. It was going to stomp <laughs> all over it. But you know. At least it was being defined within the loop. So, um, it, yeah, I don't know what you mean by stomping all over it, right? It, it would still, there would still only be the one eye. So, yeah, even though you tried to double declare it, yeah. it's not going to blow up. You walked all over it. You're only going to have the one assignment at that time that it jacked it right? up. Right. Yeah. Uh, whatever it's, it. as, yeah. you know, assignment yeah. was in the beginning would remain that until you got to that loop. Yep. But, um, yeah, so I, I mean, like, it's, you know, kind of like what Joe was pointing out there, I kind of questioned, you know, was it that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe at this time he wasn't like really a JavaScript guy, didn't care about JavaScript or just didn't like that JavaScript, uh, for standards were kind of like, Hey, declare all your variables first. It's 2008. The file. They're like, Oh man, this web's never going to take off. Everything's going to be applets and direct X. <laughs> well, back in the day, you also couldn't do the same thing with like C sharp, right? Like you couldn't put, um, there was you didn't really have an anonymous function or a lambda or whatever, so you couldn't really define the same variable twice. So, I mean, when this was written, Same it was here. basically if you had done i at the top and you did i in a loop down below, it was going to blow up. So, um, you totally lost me. What? So, so kind of what he's talking about is when you do when you define your variable up at the top, right? Or when we said in a loop, if you define your variable in a loop and you var the same var that was already done above it, really you just reusing the same variable is what we said. However, using the let in JavaScript is similar to what you could do in C Sharp if you had a lambda or some anonymous function and you define the same variable within that function. So that what I'm getting at is you can do similar things now. I don't know that those were necessarily available back when this was written. Well, no, let definitely wasn't. So that's what that's exactly my point. Or anonymous methods in C Sharp, right? I don't think you could have done that either, is what I'm saying. Like you couldn't have done mm. a for each. Um like well, you, you could definitely do for loops, not a for loop for each. So in C sharp in 2008, would you have stomped all over the variable? If you use the same definition in your for each, you would have, right? You couldn't like, have done the did, var. You wouldn't have right. been able to redefine it. That's what I'm saying. You would have, you would, it would have broken. Like you would have, you but you were saying anonymous up. method though. If you do, if you take uh, an enumeration, a list and you do a for each on it, like using the, the Lambda, so for each uh, var my string in list in list of strings, then it would actually closure that type thing, right? So you wouldn't be stomping over my string outside it. I don't think, or does it still blow up? It might still. Um, I, I'd I'd actually have to code it. But what I'm saying is, I don't think these type of of things were around back then. So he couldn't have really, you know, there was nothing else he could have said about it that would have made much sense. It, but I would have to code that C sharp thing out to see if it would actually break. I mean, it might just blow up in the compiler. Um, hmm, I think yeah. So I got I got lost somewhere in that. But okay. So um, there were only two more to close out this section. One was instance variables should be de- declared at the top of the class. Totally agree with that. Uh, by the way, they call those fields in Visual Studio. I don't know why. I don't like that. Um. Oh, I, I don't do that sometimes. There's been a few times that I've put the field, like if there's some sort of you know method that d- deals specifically with a 
a property, but uh, I can't really remember uh, why I would do something like that. I, I just know that I've done it before. Um, so it's probably me doing something I shouldn't do and <laughs> wanting to keep my shame, you know, as close together as possible and alienated from the rest of the code. Yeah, I definitely like them at the top because then you can just go look like you were talking about earlier with their private, you know, or, or your getters and setters. Like I want those in one place, like th- oh, that kind of stuff. That's what I was thinking. If I have a field that's specific for a, like a property, then I'll go ahead and put that field right above the property rather than a separate section for fields and properties. Oh, me too. I do that. Yeah, yeah do that I'm bad well. about that too. And, and I don't and, think that's bad. I think that's clean. Well, this is where I say it's bad is that if we're going back to, you know, well, if a reformatting tool or refactoring or whatever was to come in, then it's going to totally blow that away. And and even related to summary documentation, you know, summary documentation would put in spacing between that as well uh, in the case of, you know, a public API scenario. So, sure. um, mm. you know, so bad in that sense, but I do feel like this is one of those acceptable times where it's like, okay, you know, because these things going back to, uh, what did you refer to it? The, uh, something with a C word conceptual affinity. Yes. The conceptual affinity. Um, you know, because they, because they relate, then I'll put them together. But, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, instance variables declared at the top, but, uh, variable declarations, as you mentioned before, inside of your function, uh, should be declared as close as possible. So, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like a difference there, right? Cause you, you know, if you do have some instance variables that are only used in a couple functions, right? Like how, how are you going to do that? Right. You can't, you can't have it declared twice. So rather than picking one, you just put it at the top. Yeah. Yep. So dear listeners uh it's now time for us to beg you for reviews and we do this because they're really important for us they help us find new listeners and pretty much actually the the only way we find new listeners so it's really big um itunes stitcher wherever else you can find but those are kind of the the two big ones particularly itunes because we get uh, a huge percentage of our listening listeners uh from itunes so it's really big i know it's a big pain in the butt um, yeah, I mean, just interacting with iTunes in general is a big pain in the butt. So we really appreciate everyone who's done it. And uh, if you haven't already, then, um, you know, we would love that too. So please consider it and thank you. And how can they do that, Joe? If you go to codingblocks.net slash review. Boom. There it is. Yes. All right. So it's uh, my favorite, my favorite section of the show survey says so in our last episode survey says all right so in our last episode we talked about uh stickers because we've got coding block stickers now and if you would like one send us a self-addressed stamped envelope and you're like but where do i send that michael so uh hit us up on uh dm us on twitter or uh if you're in our slack channel or you want to send an email uh you know, send us an email and uh, comments at codingblocks.net and we will send you a sticker or more uh, to the address of your choosing. But since stickers are now a thing, I'm of the opinion that I like to have stickers on my laptop because, you know, my opinion is, hey, this Mac is uh, got this nice metal uh, casing on it that, you know, you can't tear off with a sticker so let me put a sticker on it because then if i don't like it i can easily just take it off and you'll never know it was there right so the question is do you put stickers on your laptop now 
Alan, you're not over there cheating, are you? I have not looked at you this. I already cheating. know the answer. What? <laughs> right. I have not looked at any of them. All right. So, so your choices are no. I've got class and I'm an adult. Stickers are for kids. Or your other choice is stickers. Stickers are the things. All right. And you got to say it like really excited like that. All right, so Alan and Joe, let's see. I think Joe might have gone first last time. He did. He did. All right, Alan. 65% no stickers. I got class. Peace out. 65%. All right, Joe. I was going to say 60 What do you think it is? So I'm going to go 66. 66%? (laughs) Yeah. For which one? No stickers. Come on down. Both of you. Wait, Joe. <laughs> I've been to conferences, right, man. It's it's not. It's mostly not stickers. It's especially all shiny, with man. people's uh, work laptops. Yeah, what? Dude. Yeah. No, it's mostly stickers at the conferences. You. I don't know what kind of crazy conference. you know kid conferences you're going to. <laughs> well, I'm going to the sticker <laughs> conferences. Uh, you're, you're going to those hipster conferences. Oh, uh, that must be what it is. All right, um, so, so don't leave us hanging here. What, what do we well, got? by Price is Right rules, you both lose. Oh, we went over. Yeah, I was, was going to say you've been to the most conferences uh, of anyone I know this year, so I should have just I should have trusted your your hints. Yeah, man, stickers. Why would you not? There's no way they were more than fifty percent. Why, no why would you not pick stickers? No way. Definitely, stickers are on laptops. That's totally a thing. What was the percentages? I mean, even in our own work environments, you see more stickers on laptops than not. I, I need the percentages. All right. All right. So, um, but the nose one. Yeah, I told you. What was it? 55%? Uh, 64. No, it, it, it was 62%. Oh, God, it was so I wasn't going to say 60, but Alan ruined it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's when you should have just said like 1%, Joe, and that way, you know. Man, I was just yep. trying to prove a point. I knew that most people don't want stickers on this I stuff. I can't believe that. Dude. That I, is mind-boggling. I have two on mine, and it's only because I love them both. It has nothing to do with the fact that I wanted stickers on my laptop. That is not, insane. I did not want any, but it needed to be there. No. I, this is – you know what? I should have – there should have been like more classifications like – no, because I'm really old, or <laughs> no, because I'm really boring, or because like why? I, I feel like I feel like the the fun people were like, oh yeah, I want stickers, stickers, stickers on my laptop, and like you know, boring people were like, no. I right. feel like people who put stickers on things are trying to hold things together or cover up holes. <laughs> yeah, I put stickers on things just not on my laptop. Yeah, man. And somebody asked about cars today, like, what do you feel about bumper stickers on cars? And I'm like, man, that's even worse than a laptop. No. So I think if I was like a samurai, would I put a sticker on my katana, you know, my instrument of death? No. 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 Now, now I'm with you on the car. <laughs> my katana. I, I, I don't have stickers on my car, and uh, so I'm, I'm with you on that. That's not to say that I never have, you know, but... Uh, yeah, definitely not in, you know, 
recent years, I definitely haven't. Hey, by the way, for all all of uh, everybody that's gotten stickers, definitely tweet us a picture of it when you've stuck it on something or when you get the note in the mail because uh, it's fun. We're, we're getting a lot of them. People seem to be excited about it, and so it makes us excited. Yeah, I want to see some stickers on some laptops so that Alan and Joe will be like, oh, Michael was right. That does <laughs> hey, look good. No, man, I actually took one of the stickers and stuck it on the back of my phone case. Now, I'm down with that because that case is disposable, right? <laughs> like, it, <laughs> Just See, saying. this is where you did it wrong. You should have put the sticker on the phone no, because the case was clear. Not so for me. those who, who don't get to see Alan's phone, it's in a clear case. If he had put the sticker on the phone, then the sticker would always be perfect and the, and the case would make it look shiny. But then I would have sticker residue on my phone when I pulled it off. Oh I can't have all that. What if... Okay, now here's a thought. Here's a thought. What if you hadn't stuck... The sticker on the phone, you just placed it in between the phone and the case. Then it slide around. around. It would, yeah, it wouldn't be straight. No, it Dude, that would drive me crazy. I couldn't take it. I, no, I, I like low maintenance, man. It's, thing, it's particularly things that thrive on negligence. <laughs> and yet you have dogs and cats. Oh yeah, that maybe that's why out. I want to simplify so badly anything that I can. These little monsters. Oh, that's awesome. Well, all right. Well, uh, we had talked about setting up a survey for this one. We totally didn't, did we? Yeah, oh, I know. No, Joe I got, threw out some ideas, though. Okay. Yeah, you guys, you guys didn't like my survey ideas. I don't think I heard it. Okay. Well, uh, you want to hear one right now? Please do throw it out. This is what it's going to be. All right. So the new MacBooks, right? They've got this little smart bar in place of the function keys. Oh, the, the, the track bar. Yeah, the track bar. So is this the death of the MacBook Pro as the primo dev laptop? Or, you know, is this just how it's going to be and it's still going to reign supreme? The beginning of a new awesome era? Yep. The future of uh, the changing key- keyboard or touch type surface? Yep. Because right. I really do think like, if you go to a conference now, I mean, you probably see like at least 60% MacBook Pros. Right. Yep. Right. It's very common, especially you know, like Microsoft, not so much. But if you go to like a JavaScript conference, forget about it. Um, Ruby on Rails, definitely. Like, don't even think about it. Um, but I wonder what it's going to be like. You know, a few years from now, it's going to take some some time to kind of phase things in. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of worried about. It. I, like, I love my MacBook Pro, but there's no way I'm giving up my function keys. Yeah, same here, dude. I'm not excited about this at all. Like, it really has me debating a Surface Book. And seeing if I can hack and tosh that baby at some point. I don't know why you'd want to bother. I, I really like OS X or Sierra or whatever you want to well, call it. Well, now it's Mac OS. Yeah, Mac OS. It, I really like it, man. I really do. But this really bugs me. I hate I hate the direction. That but, I mean, going. if you're going to take the time to buy a Surface, just leave it with Windows 10. I want them both. Well, that's why you have uh, the anniversary update, 1607. You know, install your, your Bash. The Windows subsystem for Linux. No, I like Mac, man. I really like the OS. So that's why, I mean, that's but why. But the got things my that you like about it, I think you're not going to, you're going to be frustrated if, with that Hackintosh. Possibly. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. So, yeah, at any rate, that's, uh, I am curious what the outcome of this will be. I have a feeling I know which way this is going to go, especially with a bunch of developers, but we'll see. Yeah, have you seen ads yeah. for it where it's got like, they're checking the email and there's like, you know, the bright red send button or something? Why don't you just hit enter? Like, I, I don't right. need that. Yeah, command enter done. I guess you know how I'm right. <laughs> Or you know, you could have multiple uh, screens to look at now 
you know, so that you could see the waveform on one surface and the actual video or audio on the other surface. Or, That's why I have two monitors. Um, yeah. Although, speaking of editing audio, then made me think about the, what was the new, we're off topic, but the audio, the new editor that Adobe is coming out with. What was that thing called? Oh, yeah. That was um, pretty cool. Where it could replace, you could, you could, replace audio that hadn't even been spoken. So basically the idea was um, a lot lot of people have probably edited audio at some point and you've seen this waveform of what, of the uh, representing the voices, right? And it gives you kind of like a visual cue of like what's where and you know, you could use to edit it. But Adobe took that concept a step further and they said, Hey, well, what if we also transcribed what was actually said so that you could actually read the words there, right? And what if instead of, moving the waveform around uh instead if you were to just like copy the cut cut the words and reorder the words around and then that way it would reorder the wave the corresponding wave form with it right so in the example that they gave um the this guy says something to the effect of um before i went to bed i kissed my dog and my wife and everyone laughed and was like, oh, he probably meant to kiss his wife first. So let's change that. So they just select the word wife that was transcribed and cut it and then paste it in front of dog and, you know, reorder dog and wife and, you know, uh, and, the, and the software fixed that. Cool. And, then, and then he was like, well, what if we just want to you know, change this to where he just says, uh, you know, he, he kissed his dog. Uh, so they take out the part about him kissing the wife altogether, and it sounds you know you listen to this, you listen to the audio, it sounds great, and then he's like, oh well, what if we want to like add text to it? Like he didn't say that he kissed the dog, you know how many times he kissed it, but what if we said, and I kissed my dog three times, and so they start typing in new words, and based off of the audio that it already knew, Golly. right, it was able to make new waveforms that matched the previous spoken you know things that 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 person had said right and so then you know the final product was and i kissed before i went to bed i kissed my dog three times and actually they changed it to uh and i kissed jordan three times if i remember that that's uh, amazing so so they basically completely changed the you know uh what was being said it was a really neat um presentation but it really made you think about the future of being able to edit podcasts so maybe in the future like we'll just be able to type this out and we won't even have to record it. We'll just we'll just type it into some Adobe product, and you know away it goes. Yeah, there's some TV show it. where um they were making new episodes of Seinfeld um by splicing together old ones. What show is that? <laughs> I can't remember now. But uh, <laughs> I bet that's awesome. Yeah, that would be kind of great because I think the world needs more Seinfeld. So <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think in wow. the show, um, the real Seinfeld was upset about. It. He's like, oh come on, not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we got to get back into this this stuff, right? Yep. Uh, and before we go on to horizontal formatting, though, there was one section where talking about the vertical distance, um, that you know he says that well, we want to avoid forcing our readers to hop around through our, our source files and classes, right? And I get the want part of that sentence. <laughs> But I feel like he's not letting I, this one go. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Why you gotta hate? Don't be like that. But but I even wrote this note. I'm like, man, it, 
maybe maybe I've just had bad luck. Okay, maybe that's my thing. Maybe maybe I just I haven't had the good fortune of working in these uh, utopian code bases because you know he says that we want to f- avoid forcing our readers to hop around, but I'm like. Man, that has just been inevitable in my career. <laughs> like it's just like you're going to you're going to bounce around. Like that's just going to happen, man. Yeah, sometimes I, I mean, wonder people listen to the podcast and they hear us talk about you know the way we you quote unquote should do things. They're like, oh man, the place I'm at sucks so bad. None of this stuff applies. It's like no, man. It's we're t- we're talking about very pie in the sky, like how we think should things should be someday uh, when we finish all our tickets and have no more client demands and get all the time in the world to just make clean, pure code. That, that is true. Yeah, I mean, like, I this, to say this is the direction funny. we want to go. Right? This is what yeah. we want to strive to be. This is the things that we want to think about when we're writing new code. But uh, this I is mean, we not get, yeah. very practical stuff. Yeah, Some we definitely it. strive to put things in alphabetical order, but then <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Oh, I wouldn't messed it up. So, All right. Oh, so let's get into horizontal. Yes, let's do this. So how wide should a line be? Anybody? Any takers? I know I've hated it when I've run formatters and it's like bump stuff after eighty and so I've got all these like strings broken in half. <laughs> so I'm not a big fan of doing this. And I feel like most of the time when things go over the horizontal width, it's usually because it's some sort of, you know, messaging or string or something that I don't really even care about. Anyway, it's not really code to me. It's data. And you can say that, you know, maybe that data should be broken out. But for the most part, the horizontal uh, formatting thing is just not a big deal to me. I would much rather just have that stuff be scrollable if it's a string. Okay. But like, are you going to make it a thousand characters wide? Like, where do you stop? Um, that I don't care if it's a thousand. If 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 you want to put like a big paragraph in a string, you know, encode that. I don't really care. Okay, let 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 let's let's take out the the hard coded string examples though, and let's just say it's like pure code. Like you're you're doing some method chaining. You oh know. yeah, don't do that. Yeah, if it's like dot dot how, dot. How 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 wide do you go? No more than two methods in a row. Okay, well. So, dot yeah, something parentheses dot something else parentheses like anything longer so, than that you should have each one on, a, on its own line so you're talking maybe 60 characters yeah okay wow that's even shorter than that, that's like really short then have you seen characters. some of my method names well th- so long here was a stat well here was a stat from the book that was kind of interesting was in the popular projects examined, it appeared that forty percent of lines were between twenty and sixty characters. Yeah, but I feel like that's forty between twenty and sixty characters because they were already going to be not because, uh, you, know, they were. Uh, how did you just word that? Where it's data. Well, data is different, right? Like that's that that's not code. That's literally just a representation of some information in there. You're not doing anything. I mean. Uh, yeah, because cause for so long, 80, which is really a very dated it number, but for so long, 80 has yeah. been the thing, right? Yep. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it was, you know, their percentage came out to be 20 and 60, between 20 and 60, not because they uh, didn't want to go out to 80. No, no, it had nothing to do with that. This was just, just examining. It, that's what how they it found. like percentage wise worked out. Yep. So you know, that was the popular one. 70% of all the lines were under 60 characters is what it boiled down to, which was a little surprising. And really, he wait, just, how can, how can 40% was between 20 and 60 and then below 20. 
And was, 70, you said you said 70 was below 60. No, 70% of all lines are under 60. So 30% of lines were less than 10 characters. So if you combine uh, the 30 uh, and the 40%, you're at 70. But I got you. So that said, I mean, it already looks like just by default, most of them were pretty short anyways. Um, so is that because, is that 30% then for the less than 20, you know, you got to believe like, is that just because it was one line for a var I equals zero or, or, uh, uh, curly brace, you know, the beginning um, of a curly brace, you know, beginning or end of a method for a curly brace. Good call. Um, or parentheses or something like that. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they just did a static analysis of it. Yeah. Um, and, Uncle Bob Martin basically said that he said that if you're going over 120, then you've kind of gone overboard. I, I would agree with Joe. If it's just a string, whatever, you know, who cares? Um, if it's data and it's not code, then it's not a big deal. But yeah, if you've got an actual line of code that's over 120 characters, you're probably pushing the limit. So I tried to think of an example sentence that we can kind of figure out where 80 characters is exactly. So I tried to think of the most iconic, you know, kind of words I could think of. I thought maybe about the the Constitution the or something. Well, what I ended up with, uh, with was Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. So 80 characters is, uh, is this the real life? Is this wait, just wait, fantasy? Wait, no, 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 no. You got to sing this. <laughs> it's, very, it's very high. <laughs> We're listening. It's just fantasy. Caught in a landslide, no escape. <laughs> That's where it ends. <laughs> no escape. That was it. No escape. The <laughs> F. That's eighty characters. Nice. <laughs> if you wanted, uh, if you wanted one hundred and twenty. Wait, even better, even better. I think we need. I think. I think Joe owes it to the audience. Joe, you should restate that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody verse, but do an impression of me doing it. <laughs> okay, I, I can do that. I'll step I'll, I'll get back from the, the mic a little bit so I don't blow out your speakers with my awesome. I can do that. He says. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop at 120 characters this time. All right, let's do this. This is this is outlaw singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Wait, no, not me singing. I just No. Oh. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy caught in a landslide no escape from reality? Open your eyes. Look up to this. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, and all I really had there was just starting out real strong and then kind of fading down a little bit, um, which, you know, James has called you out on many times. <laughs> oh, <man>. Really? Really? <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, so what we got to here really is 120 characters. If you go much longer, it's probably bad. Um, yeah, he says it's careless. It's, it's careless. And, and I would agree with that. I actually like what Joe said, although I don't do two methods. Usually I'll do one method per line, right? So if you're chaining a bunch of them, then I'll come down and indent the next line and do dot something and then go down the next line, dot something. And that way it's just really easy to follow. But, you know, if your language doesn't support that, I could see how it could get longer. Yeah, you know, um, if I actually look at my monitor, which which is an ultra wide, to be fair, but um, if I look to see how far I can actually get, how many characters, uh, I'm looking at uh, over 335, which is well into the mama just killed a man section. <laughs> 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 it's all based off what you did. It's the standard, uh, I, man. I like the metrics, man. That's that's actually how all things should be done in business from now on. <laughs> if you got to mama, 
<laughs> You've gone too far. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you are on an ultra-wide monitor, though, and, and you might be tempted to think, like, well, who cares? Because it's just me. I'm the only one looking at this. I've got this ultra-wide monitor, so... You know, I'm going to put it, I'm going to make the lines as wide as I think makes sense so that I can, uh, you know, get this done. Well, you might be thinking short sighted because then you can't, you know, if you wanted to like split screen that ultra wide monitor and look at two files at the same time in that editor, you know, then you're going to find yourself scrolling back and forth in one of those windows because you made this really long, you, you, you've reached mama. Or then you shrink the font, which he also said, right? Oh, like, God. A lot if of you have to shrink people, the font yep. to read the file. That's a problem. I mean, you've passed Ludacris and you went to Plaid. <laughs> so. Yeah, I actually, I keep finding myself shrinking websites. Like, I'll, I'll go to them and the, the, the font will be so big. I, it's like I have to turn my neck to read the sentence because I guess it probably scales out, you know, mobile first and all that jazz. It drives me crazy. I shrink it down. Yeah, I do the same thing. Command minus minus. Um, so another thing they said was put spaces on both sides of an assignment operator, like an equal sign. Now I have to say, I do this on equal signs. I do not do it for colons. Like if I'm writing JSON, I do not like putting a space before the colon. I yeah, definitely I put one after it, but I hate it before it. That is, uh, I that think is that, the correct answer. Yeah. I think Will and I actually argued about that one too. <laughs> I can't He's tell you why I like it about that way. Spacing. I, you know what? I can't either. Honestly, I don't know why I don't like the space for it. If it's not there on the equals, I'll go crazy. But if it's there on the on the colon, I absolutely lose my mind. I can't take it. A space before it. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, he talks about doing this same kind of thing though, like um, trying to set some sort of uh, order of operations related to math. Yes, and and your use of spacing there to try to signify you know the things that are going to happen before and after and i'm like and he even you know later formats you know or comments on it that uh, his, his exact quote was unfortunately most uh, tools for reformatting code are blind to the precedence of the operators and impose the same spacing throughout so sp- subtle spacing like those uh, shown tend to get lost after you reformat the code and they do, but I will say this, and I've always felt this way, even when I was doing math. I don't like this whole thing of it. so what he was doing, what he was explaining right there is like let's say you have a times b times c, and then minus he would put a space for the minus and a space after the minus, and then c times d times e. So the multiplication comes first, obviously, and the minus is next. I don't like that. I would nope. never like that. I would rather group it with parens so it's super obvious. Oh, no. He did do that in his example, but he would have, in parentheses, no spacing, okay? Per, open paren, A times B, close paren, and there's no spacing in any of that. All five of those characters are one right after the other. Space minus space parentheses C times D. Did he have the parentheses in there? You looking at it? Yeah, I could have sworn he didn't have the parens in it. I mean, I can hand you the book, but yeah, no, he okay. did. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah. In that case, I mean, and, I and, would put the space before the minus and all that. I was just saying I like the grouping. Like, well, but he goes even further. Like, you know, in in his example though, is actually division. So he had he had space before and after the divide symbol. I typically do that, and it it's gets like, lost in parentheses, right? Like you you can't really see it. 
It does, but to his point though, if you if you hit that thing with a reformatter, it's going to put spacing in between your A times B. Mm, yeah. Right? It's going to be it's going to make uh it's going to reformat it as A space times space B. Yeah. I like I the spaces. I definitely like this. You like the spaces? I I'm indifferent on the spaces on the multiplication type stuff, but I, I don't know. I could go either way with, with that one. I guess this was just like w- one of those examples that where it kind of bothered me, where it's like the suggestion is inconsistent with you know tooling that's out there. So it's like, why bother to make this suggestion? Right, it's inconsistent. If you're going to be fighting it, yeah, yeah. And and that I mean, not to harp on the newspaper, <laughs> but I kind of feel like you're going to be fighting that too, right? I don't. No. I don't. So, I never reformat the code, so I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> newspaper is oh. correct and. This feels right. Yeah, this this will be a dead horse by the time the show is over. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Like, are news is newspaper even a thing anymore? Didn't it? it like, is. you know, magazines, the internet killed it. Magazines so do the same. It, it should. So so therefore, newspaper metaphor should die because the internet killed it. We have Kindles. So they yeah. do the same. Yeah, I think we oh, just call it normal now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Uh, so he also said he doesn't put spaces be- um, before a paren after a function name. I agree with that. Yeah. I don't like seeing function space open paren. Like, that drives me crazy. Yeah, you don't call it well, that way, right? Right, you don't. So so if you had a, a public method called get name, right, you wouldn't say uh, get name space open paren close paren, right? And that's fine. Now, if it was a declaration... I still don't. <laughs> but if it was a JavaScript declaration and it was don't. anonymous, oh, then you just do function space. You're supposed to. You should. Although JavaScript will take anything, but you know the kind of going back to the JavaScript, the good parts. Uh, the author, I can't remember the name. His name off the top of my head. Douglas uh, Crockford. Douglas Crockford. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, you know he he made the point of saying that you should put. You should make it uh, as part of your anonymous function declaration, function space, open parentheses, and then any arguments, close parentheses. Because what you're trying to signify in that scenario is that uh, function isn't a method, right? There's no name on that. Function is a keyword to, to say, hey, I'm about to define a method. Right. Right. The new and ES6 to, stuff's pretty cool. It's like the Lambda kind of syntax when you do like parentheses, arrow. Function. Yep. You know, the fat arrow. Yep. I do like those. Um, there was another one here also to do with methods was uh, putting spaces after individual arguments. So if you have argument one, comma, put a space. Argument two, comma, put a space. I agree with that visual yep. separation. I do not like the space before the parentheses or before the first argument or after the ending argument. I think that's crazy talk. <laughs> yep. Oh. So multiple variable declarations, though of the same type on the same line. Like, do you like that? No. What, yeah. like string A comma space Well, because that's B. what you were just describing, right? It's like, yeah, like string string A comma space B comma space C semicolon, right? Yeah. Or string space A comma new line B oh, comma I, new line C semicolon. I like new line on those. So these Neither. were arguments to a method. You don't like that either? No, var. You have to have the word var on each line. Oh, no string. <laughs> if you've uh, got so many variables to cut at the top there that's distracting, then maybe your function is doing too much. 
Hmm. No, no, no. I don't think. Well, one, I don't think three variables would be count would count as distracting. Right. Yeah, three is fine. If you've got ten, then there's something else going on. I don't know. Ten's not unreasonable either, depending on what you're doing. Ten with ten variables in JavaScript, man, you could do just about anything. You can like go to <laughs> I YouTube, take over the world, and download something. Like, I mean, you can you can do a lot of crazy stuff in JavaScript. I feel like I feel variables. like we should have like a whole like hacker con about like you know how many how many uh, variables can you use to hack this this environment? Uh, like, know, what's the biggest series you, you, you win in JavaScript in ten lines? <laughs> like it's like the opposite of a name that tune, right? Except like hack that environment. Yeah, and hack that environment in one line. Oh, we just hit the place where uh, they were talking about the block formatted variable variables. And if you've seen this, you probably have. If you've ever done any database stuff, you'll see that the column is on the left. Then they'll tab over a certain number of spaces, and then do the type, and then they'll tab over and do something else. And he was saying, "Don't do that. It's distracting from the story of the code." I agree. I don't like it. Yeah, I like that in SQL, but after reading this again, I was like, oh, wait, crap, you're right. I'm not, I don't care about these types in vertical order. I don't care about int, int, daytime int. What I care about is the horizontal association. So why am I making that harder just to make something look pretty vertically, which I'm not even using? Yeah, I don't like the lining up. I never have, but it is very uh, prevalent in SQL. Yeah, SQL's so. terrible, man. And even the, the word declare, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, declare, or, or I was just talking about how I'll do, in JavaScript, I'll do var A equals var B equals var C. In SQL, man, I do one declare because declare is such a monster word. Generally, it's even longer than the variable I'm declaring. I don't want that thing, to, you know, three times in a row. You can't even read what's going on. Like, how many how many characters is declare? That's like a good chunk of that 80. Right there, chunk of the eighty. That's seven right there <laughs> on your Bohemian Rhapsody. That is, is this? So, oh yeah, yeah you have a daytime I mean, in there, man. You're at seventeen already. No variable name. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next part was lining up your code. Code is hierarchical. Never really thought about it like that, but it totally is. As you get into a scope, whether it's an if block or a while loop or something like that, you just indent, right? You should always do that so that people can look at your code and understand what in the world's going on. Now, however, I did have a question or a a thought on this one, and this is actually SQL-based. So have you ever gone in to do a function or a stored proc in SQL, and there's no good way to trace your progress? So you might do a print, and you might be indented over four levels because of all your logic and your proc, but to print, you want that thing to show up on the line all the way to the left. And so I'll do a print and then go down a line and put my message on the left. And so it just looks nasty in the code. Yeah, I do that so I don't forget to remove it after. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a way around it. Like, if you want to start at the next line, is there a better way? I feel like this is already a code smell. Like the fact that your your stored procedure is so complicated that that one you're indented to four levels, and then two, it's so complicated that you need to have print statements in there to see what it's doing. That that that's a Welcome code smell SQL. already. I, I wouldn't even say a code smell. You ever had a trigger and you needed to check the nest levels or please? I mean seriously. Like at that point, you will thank yourself for having those print statements in there. <laughs> oh man, SQL modularizing SQL is just a joke anyway. SQL is such a terrible language to work with. There's so many just 
little sugary bits that have not been added over the years that just drive me crazy. But I'm sure there's <laughs> you know, really good reasons, and believe me, I couldn't do any better. But man, there's some things about Sigil that just eats me up, as you know. I, I'm really not trying to hate, not trying to join Joe's hater wagon for uh, <laughs> sequel though. But I mean, I really do feel like we've talked about this, but like there's so many good coding habits. And then when it comes to sequels, like, oh, you, no, all bets are off. Like, hey, hey, no, nobody way, does that. Yeah, totally. If anybody's listening and you're trying to do good programming habits in sequel, you're probably doing it wrong. And I'm not being facetious. If you try and go the OO route because you're a programmer and you think, hey, we should make this thing modular, you're probably going to kill performance by going that route. So stop thinking like that and start thinking more about how do I work with data sets because you will absolutely shoot yourself in the foot as you start breaking things apart and they start working on a row-by-row basis. So uh, end... And I mean, sadly, that's not, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have to think about sets. You can't think about modularity. No, you really, I mean, you will absolutely destroy your performance. So at any rate, that was, that was a little side tangent. Um, oh, one other thing the dude said. So that, are we saying that, is it that SQL sucks then, or is it that working with sets sucks? SQL. I, mm. uh, it's the SQL. Yeah. I mean, I, if I, I could just that, order my something dynamically. <laughs> Dude, you just need to work in MongoDB and call it a day. <laughs> MongoDB is pretty fun. If you've never messed with it, I think you would love it, Joe, because all your complaints are answered. But I, I want to well, relate first, data. MongoDB, that's a document DB. It's a NoSQL database, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, automatically, it's a win for Joe because he hates SQL. So this is NoSQL. Yeah, so I do hate the SQL win. language. But they've got their own query language. Which is probably no, way it's better. It's pretty easy, though. No, it's, it's more like OO type stuff. It's pretty easy stuff. Usually. Yeah, I mess with it a little bit, just kind of mess around. But for the most part, like I want to relate data. I want to join things and deal with data in sets. It's just the actual syntax of SQL drives me crazy. And it drives me crazy that it was set like in the 80s. And that there's still not ways to do things that are really common. And that just, just seemed like no-brainer things to add to me. Maybe they just got it right. You know, the 80s. I mean, think about it. You know, you had Back to the Future, uh, Reaganomics, DeLoreans. Look, I man, mean, come on, DeLoreans. Joe's a closet sequel lover. That's all there is to it. I think that's really what it is. Yeah. He says all of this, but you know, all of this hate about sequel, and it's really so that he can, you know, feel it's to counteract how much he actually loves it. Yes. Yep. And, and he's trying to, you know, he doesn't want to you know, hipsters to be like, oh my God, that guy's like way too much in a sequel. So he has to like throw out the sequel hate there. Yeah. Two words, man. Paging and sorting. Okay. You got, you got two good points. Yeah. Oh. Actually, it's <laughs> like, that was like one words. of the most common things you ever do. And it, like, you have to jump through some stupid, stupid hoops for it. it drives me crazy. You only ask for two words. So you get paging and <laughs> yes, sorting's gone. So, oh, so back to the yeah, back to the. <laughs> <laughs> it was an off by one error, as always. <laughs> so the uh, other thing he mentioned, and and I've done this. I know we all have. Like you'll have a bunch of like public properties in C sharp, and you'll have your getters and setters, and really they're just doing a get return something, and you'll be like, oh man, I don't want five hundred lines for this. I'm going to collapse it down so that the get and the set are all on the same line. And he said, I'll usually go back and split them back out so that visually you can see what's going on. I don't know how I feel about that. Usually what ends up happening is I'll have a bunch of those properties and I'll have the gets and sets on the same line and then there'll be one 
<laughs> that needs actually a private property, and I'm like, oh, I can't in good conscience only do this one this way. Well, I th- thought, though, um, I'm trying to find that, that exact part, though. Wasn't he talking, because his context or frame of mind for this section was coming from a Java world, which doesn't have the get and set auto properties that you're referring to in yep. C sharp. His were more like getters <clears throat> and setters. So it wasn't, I thought it was more like if statements like, uh, you know, it could have been that too. if something's true, then, you know, then you would immediately have a return and it's all on the same line. Yes. Something very similar um, to that. If I recall, but so, you know, as it relates to the getters and setters in C sharp, uh, if it's simple, you know, auto properties that do nothing, then fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for just keeping it simple on the one line. Uh, you know, you're right. As soon as you break out the first one, then, you know, you got to break out the second one too. <laughs> yeah, because you just start feeling like it's wrong. Well, I think syntactically that you can't, you have to. Syntactically, you oh, no, can't. No, I'm not talking about breaking out the get and the set individually. I'm talking about like the ones that you had done before, like the auto properties that were above it. Like, no, no, no. Auto properties, auto properties. You don't need to. You, auto properties, you're getting set or defaults by yes. the compiler, so they can be empty. So I'm saying, like, okay, so you have one auto property, and then you have a second property in your class in your uh, class that is not an auto property. So you're going to provide the get and setter, mm-hmm. right? I have no no problem with mixing that, letting the auto property okay. be, you know, uh, you know, using the default auto property and, and not bothering to break that out on a separate line because what would you have like get semicolon new line set semicolon because it's an auto property so uh, maybe not an auto property if you're thinking about like so you have a private backing variable so it's not an auto property but it's you know one of these public properties that you're just getting so you might be literally just saying set this equal value get you know okay, return yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. property like typically i'll have that on one line because i'm like man mm. that's such uh, so so you're saying you'd have uh like let's go back to we've we've talked about get name as yep, the, yep. the canonical reference during this episode so you have a, a, a auto property for name and uh you want to have a getter for it so and you have a private backing field for it called underscore name yep. so you would have get uh Curly brace. Uh, yeah, curly brace. Well, semicolon. No. Uh, yeah, get, get, curly. get curly brace. Return. Uh, return underscore name semicolon curly brace. Yep. Set semicolon value or uh, underscore name. Yeah, curly brace underscore name equals value semicolon curly brace. Yep. I and would in keep that, that on simple one example, yeah, I would be okay with that too. Yeah, but then the thing is, is then you'll get one that's got more complex business logic behind it, and then you're like, man, I broke that out into five lines. Maybe I should do the other one for the five lines. You know, it, it, it's no. just oh. Here, here's the thing, like, like I'm because I'm kind of indifferent about that one. Like, I, I would probably in the one line examples, I would probably write them out there, and if and if the IDE or you know a resharper or whatever. You know, plug in. If I had some plug in, and it was like, no, 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 let's let's be consistent and format this. Whatever, I, I wouldn't care. The the one example where I am more, uh, let's say, let's say that you have an if statement <clears throat> and a return statement. So, like, let's say, um, you know, you have some method, and you say, like, oh, well, if this value is null then just return early, right? And you would have the return on the same line. I can't stand that. I don't like Cannot that Cannot stand that. 
not only and 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 I take it a step further now. It would be an extremely, I'm not saying I never have, because there are like extremely rare instances where I might have a return statement on the same line as the if, right? But like one in a billion, right? Like I don't think I've ever done it. I can think of one example where I have, and and the whole method was three lines long. I love it. Right? No, you now, don't. Really? I love it in Ruby, return if condition. One line. Oh, well, that's, well, that's different, man. Yeah, yeah. Pearl has some similar kind of syntaxes like that. But um, the where where I would take it a bit further, like let's let's stay strictly in a uh, let's confine this to Java, C sharp, JavaScript, C, and C plus plus. Right? Not fancy languages. So so <laughs> well, I you know. Those because because four of those are are strongly typed right. Um, in that in that ex- in that case though, what uh, I take it a step further and I like to include not only the return on the next line, but I like to go ahead and put the curly braces around it because even though I might not need it in that case because it's only one line, more often than not I'm going to need I'm going to want to add a second line to that if. Uh, statement, and so I'm going to have to add the curly braces eventually, anyways. Whether like maybe it's a debug statement that I want to add, or some new uh, logic that I need to add, or maybe I need to log uh, add some logging in because I'm doing a return in this particular scenario or whatever. Eventually, inevitably, I'm going to want to add one or more additional lines to that if. So go ahead and put the the curly braces there to protect myself in the future so that I don't end up in a Apple go to fail. Yep. Uh, you know, error, right? Yep. That, that's my thinking. I agree. I, I feel like it should be on a separate line. So it's obvious. That's pretty much it. And they actually talked about something similar in the book for while statements. Don't, don't do a cute while statement with the semicolon at the very end of the line because people won't see it. They won't realize that it's not actually doing anything. Put it on the next line, make it obvious, make it jump out. You know, he mentioned that, and I was like, "Whoa! I have never, I have never written a while statement like that." He, it, it was referred to as dummy scopes, yep. and so like, uh, you know, he he's reading a buffer, uh, he's doing a, a buffer read in his while statement, but there's no body to the while, so he just puts a semicolon in there. I've never written anything like that. I've never even stumbled upon somebody else's code that was written like that if i did i would strongly slap them like what are you doing why would you write that like that that's horrible have you guys ever written a while loop like that no i've infrequently written while loops (laughs) (laughs) infrequently written while loops yes (sighs) or do whiles haven't done those much either um i mean they have their place but i like I just felt like that's uh you're just kind of asking for it. Yeah, you really yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Really. It, it's it's a hit. Even his suggestion of putting the semicolon on the next line and indenting it. So basically you have the semicolon in his example he his spacing is, you know, uh that the the new the next line would start three characters over. So in his example here the semicolon would be below the i 
in while. Just hanging out there. Most people and would be like, like somebody screwed up. Let me delete mm-hmm. that line. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which goes back to Joe's point about you're asking for it because when that guy deletes something, now suddenly that while loop is going to be doing something else. Yep. Yep. Right? Like, why would you do that? Why would you write a while loop? Like, that's the bigger problem here. Like, this whole dummy scope thing that he's talking about, like, oh, hey, just put this, you know, your semicolon on the same line is going to be lost. Let's put it on a new line so that someone else, you know, can see it. But it's like, well, the bigger problem is why are you writing while loops like this? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I've never seen one done that way. Like, an infinite loop could be the least of your problems depending on what the next line is. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so to cap all this off, basically he reiterated again, follow teams, formatting rules. Don't go vigilante. Uh, I mean, that's kind of how he ended it. And he showed his own formatting stuff at the end of it, which, I mean, it was all pretty and you know, we agree on most of it. Um, do we most of it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do we not, not all of it? And there's some mm-hmm. things that me and Joe are right about. Um, but, Were you, you know, <laughs> As far as books go, though, and like we definitely are some, we're a pretty opinionated bunch, but I think that we can all agree that we agree on ninety percent of this book. Maybe yeah, 95. which is surprising. As much as we've all programmed, I think that's pretty. That's saying well, something. Well, okay, here I got a better way to phrase that. We can agree that we agree on some percentage. <laughs> <laughs> that's the very. We just can't agree on what that percentage is. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, I'll take it. And we'll have a link to the book in the uh, show notes. Yep. And uh, if you happen to win it, awesome. You can also figure out whether you agree or disagree with us on some of these things. And uh, now it's time for the tip of the month this time. Oh, no. Week. Definitely week. All right, week. All right, here we go. <laughs> what you got? All right. All right. So I found this. Uh, this tip was mentioned to me by... Uh, appear and I was like, oh my God, this is going to change my world. I've never, I never thought to even try this or knew that you could do this. Um, this is a Chrome tip and, you know, actually I should have tried this in like a Firebug or Edge and so maybe it exists there. So, you know what, maybe it's more than a Chrome tip, but you know, this is going to be specific to Chrome and you can try it in other browsers and see if it works there as well. But um, I was trying to debug something, and what was happening is I had this this div, and it looked great momentarily, and then as I would step through my JavaScript, suddenly it was getting set to display none. And I'm like, what is happening? Why would anyone display none this beautiful div? That's why I made it, because it looked so amazing. Why would someone else just randomly decide, oh, no, it should be hidden? <laughs> and and so I was like, where is this coming from? And it took me forever trying to figure this out until a coworker showed me this most beautiful tip in the Chrome DevTools. You can break on an attribute modification. Did you know that? So you choose your I element in the, in like the console. So you inspect your code, right? You find whatever your element is. You right-click on it. There's a break on, okay? You can break on subtree modification. Sweet. You can break on attribute modifications or node removal, right? Nice. So what will happen is it's not necessarily like a JavaScript break because you're not putting a break in a particular JavaScript file, Right. 
But as soon as something happens to that element, the page execution stops and you can see in the JavaScript's call stack, you can see what's happening and what's changing your element. That's, That's nice. awesome. I never knew that, and it changed my world when I found out about it. I, I was like, it, that is amazing. That just changed mine a little bit, I believe. Yeah, because, I guess you could have done it like old school. You could have created an event with a debugger statement, in, but this just kind of takes away all of that. Yeah, as soon as I found that, as soon as he mentioned that to me, I saw, I found out what was display nutting my div in 30 seconds. It's like all I did killer. was a refresh, and boom, there it was. And it was like, oh, yeah. There's the stack trace. I can see exactly what was happening. That's killer. Yeah, it's nice. That's, that's so break on attribute modification is exact. Well, the break on attribute modification is what I'm going to title you know today's uh, tip of the week for me. But like I said, you could do subtree modifications or you could do node removal, right? At, in addition to it's awesome. That's a biggie. I I will be using that and and tomorrow. you know what <laughs> yeah uh, because so I'm hoping that a lot of listeners get a lot of love out of that one a lot of people seem to like the uh, the feedback the tip that I gave was it last time on the um, actions yeah, for Visual cool. Studio that one yes. seemed to get a lot of feedback too a lot of positive feedback it's those little gems that make your day so much easier right I mean it really does make a huge difference. Um, so this one is kind of apropos for the topic we have here. And Gustav Carlson from Slack had mentioned this eons ago. Like he was one of our first slackers, which was awesome. And he had mentioned this particular one and I had forgotten to bring it up, but it goes perfect with today's discussion and it's called editorconfig.org. So we were talking about, you know, the problem with setting up teams with different editors is, you know, they, they all have like their own defaults. Well, what editorconfig.org does is it allows you to take an editor config file, set up how you want it to do your format, your curly braces, your line spacing, your, all kinds of things, right? And the beautiful part is this thing works with a ton of different editors without any plugins. So BB Edit, Builder, C Line, GitHub, Gogs, IntelliJ, RubyMine, SourceLayer, Tortoise Git, and WebStorm. Well, it also supports other IDEs as long as you use a plugin. App code, Atom, brackets, Coda, code blocks. Interesting. Uh, Eclipse, Emacs, Genie, G-Edit, J-Edit, Komodo, NetBrains, Notepad++, PHP, Storm, PyCharm, Sublime Text, Text Adept, Text Mate. Text Adept. Text Adept. Ah, didn't see it. Vim. Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, and Xcode. So basically, there are a slew of editors out there that this particular format works with so that what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. like with WebStorm, right? You have a config file out there. Everybody that's using WebStorm, they automatically get that same type thing. Well, now you can take it a step further. With Editor Config, you can literally set it up for your entire team that you've agreed upon, and then everybody could use this thing across whatever IDE they choose. So... Pretty awesome stuff. It allows you to work a little bit smoother without everybody having to worry about how everybody else is coding. And very cool. So, yep. Thanks to Gustav on that one. Yeah, that's very nice. So, uh, my tip of the week is actually a YouTube channel. Is that what you call it? Uh, something mm-hmm. you can subscribe to called Coding Math. And what it is is a uh, it's a guy who makes these um, kind of mathy programmery videos. But don't let the mathy scare you. 
Um, they do really cool things like um, he'll kind of program through uh, generating a fractal or doing some tree type stuff like you kind of talked about and uh, the link we've got in the show notes, uh, Alan. And um, other just cool stuff like um, easing functions that you can use to kind of make, you know, like you'll see it in browsers when um, elements will kind of slide towards each other and slow down as they get closer. Just all sorts of kind of like little mathy things that you see in programs. They're just kind of neat. And you can go watch a 15-minute video. He'll demonstrate something in uh, just a, you know, a little simple algorithm that has actual, um, you know, a visual effect and you can take the code and play around with it. And especially the fractal stuff is just really cool. And he'll explain how the algorithm works. He'll give you the code. And it's, you know, usually like the one I'm looking at here for drawing fractals, like, I don't know, 70 lines. So it's not real big and it just does some cool stuff. So it's neat to get a, to kind of play with that stuff. And just, to, I mean, nothing else, just watch the videos and be inspired. Very cool. All right. Well, that will wrap up episode five zero. We we didn't even talk about that. That this is the fiftieth episode. Like that's a. I feel like that's a milestone it's, that went un undiscussed. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, it's I mean, like yeah. ten years of the way right we release episodes, right? <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, this we, is like three, three years. years. Yeah, we're, we're almost right at our three year anniversary, and we're fifty episodes in. That's that's pretty awesome. It, yeah, so I mean, not quite like seventeen episodes a year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It, we've gotten a little bit better this year about it. I think we've tried to step it up a little bit. Maybe sometimes we've gotten better about it this year. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that's awesome. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us the entire time. I mean, like we get awesome feedback all the time, and it really is amazing. Our listeners are amazing. Yeah, and, and it makes it to where it's fun for us, and we keep wanting to do it, right? So, you know, keep the comments coming, keep slacking, and it, it's it really does make it so it's fun for everyone. So we hope you've enjoyed uh, another episode of Clean Code as we talked about Chapter 5 uh, formatting and uh, why the newspaper metaphor sucks. Um, <laughs> be sure to leave a comment at uh, www.codingblocks.net slash episode 50 for your chance to win a copy of the book. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave us a review by visiting www.codingblocks.net slash review. And you can find all the show notes, examples, discussions, and more there as well. And you can send your feedback, questions, or rants to our Slack channel, um, codingblocks.slack.com. And uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at CodingBlocks or on Facebook or um, pretty much anywhere else. You can join the mailing list and and uh, enter into contests because we give away really awesome stuff pretty often. We really do. How come we never get any of that stuff? <laughs> I know. <about? laughs> yeah, but we're getting uh, the short end of the stick on this deal. We are. Always the giver. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's coming up. So, yeah, it, we'll all be eating too much. Well, it's th- but Thanksgiving isn't a thing outside of America. Yeah, it's also like the worst holiday. No presents, no candy. Yeah, we got Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Cyber Monday. Here we have Cyber Monday. Yeah. It's coming. All right, whatever. All right. <laughs> Enjoy your shopping weekend coming up. <laughs> there you go. Now now there's something we can get excited about. Right. Yeah, you we know, picked a side. Enjoy in the war on all your future guys. sales on Newegg <laughs> and Amazon. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap.